The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 376. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah, guess what? Big show coming up today. This is the, well, yeah, this is the one show we only get to do every now and then, so it's a big show. It's the Windows 10 review on the Linux Action Show. How do two hardcore Linux users respond to Windows 10? Is this the ultimate Linux-killing desktop, or does it not even hold a candle to the modern Linux desktop or somewhere in between? We'll give you our take on Windows 10 from the perspective of two Linux users. Then in the news segment, we're going to talk about the tough words that Mozilla has for Microsoft. Samsung found a bug in the Linux kernel, a gun that runs Linux uh, that's under attack by hackers, or is it all hype? We'll tell you about that, plus some big news from Cody, and then changes coming to Nautilus that hopefully you won't even notice. Then it's the feedback, but before all of that, Noah... The picks! It's the picks! And we got some good ones this week. You know, when you were out here uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, Noah, you got to check out this World War II documentary. And you and I were watching yeah. it on Netflix. And then uh, uh, this is so funny that this came along because it's kind of along the same lines. Uh, this World War II hysteria, historian historian, <laughs> historian uh, runs Linux to analyze wreckage. Check this out. It's, uh, if you watch closely, it did make it on the air. Here we're able to get a picture you can't get any other way. Now there's the a summary. It shows you what it would look like if you could take the water away. And that'll help tell us what happened to the submarine. Now watch for the watch for the Linux, Noah. I'm watching. Back at the University of Rhode Island, Clara gets to work. Wait to for start, it. You can kind of see it. Computers assemble the images. A title bar. But they can only do Linux-y. so much. As you can see, we've got some issues. In problem areas, Clara will have to match individual frames by eye. Boom! There it is. That's clearly Unity there's right there. There's Linux. Yeah, there it is. And uh, so uh, she's in there uh, tweaking stuff, and uh, they're doing all this. It's so cool when you see these underwater subs that are looking at history. Yeah. And running Linux. They tried rolling out Windows 10 in there, but the, they, it kept crashing, and they had to keep launching subs, and that got to be too expensive, so they installed it. <laughs> wow. But I'm bummed. The first Windows 10 joke is fired, ladies and gentlemen. I promise they'll probably get better from there. I don't, I'm not, I'm not yeah, so sure, yeah. though. Uh, now, Noah, how did you come across that Runs Linux one? Was that sent in? That was, yeah, that was sent in by Vlad K. Vlad K. Well, thank you, Vlad yeah. K., for sending that and, in. Vlad K., I want you to know that while it was an exceptionally great runs Linux, I probably wouldn't have noticed it out of the bunch had I not been watching a World War documentary yeah. at the time. But It was good timing. Yeah. It was good timing yeah, it was. for that. It was really good timing. So did he send that in? So here's how you can send that in. You can go to, uh, over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and click the contact link and choose Linux Action Show from the drop-down. Email yes. us directly, yeah. linuxactionshow at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Com, and then we might Another just make way. it a future. Also, it can be your own stuff that runs Linux, too. We like seeing those, those are even as better. well. Yeah, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are... Especially those are if they have video. Oh, yeah. Yeah, upload that S to YouTube and then give us a link, and we'll talk about it. Hey, speaking of something we're going to talk about, it's our first sponsor this week, and that's the great folks over at DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com right now and use our promo code of absolute knowledge and power. That way you can get a $10 discount. It's last digital, all one word, lowercase, last digital, when you go over to DigitalOcean. Now, why DigitalOcean? I'll tell you why. It's a great, great resource for not just the Linux Action Show crew, but for so many people in our audience. It's simple cloud hosting. And they're dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own 
server. These servers are powered by KVM. The host operating system is Linux, and all of the drives underneath are SSDs. Now check this out. You can get started in less than 55 seconds. And pricing plans start at only $5 a month. That'll get you 512 megabytes of RAM. And you know Linux. Linux is going to work that 512 megabytes of RAM. A 20 gigabyte SSD, so no longer do you need a big RAID array to have great I.O. when your, mach- when your machine gets under load, and a blazing fast CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. And it's at great, great speeds. And that terabyte of transfer, it's not just the speed of transfer that's super important to me, but it's also the fact that I know with a terabyte, something like, oh, I don't know, pulling down my own cloud files for like the 50th time isn't going to over me, right? I'm not going to run out. Even though I'm just using it for something basic like own cloud and Minecraft, knowing that I have a terabyte is sort of like peace of mind. And the fact that that terabyte's connected at a gigabit means that when I, when I pull down those files, they just blast down to my machine. And one of the cool things about DigitalOcean is they, da- they have data center, lotion, da- data center locations in New York, in San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, and Germany. So you can pick one based on your region and then really, really kind of up the speed. And one of the things I've also done is sort of the reverse from that. I've picked ones that are far away from me, so that way audience members that are syncing our BitTorrent sync files and things like that can pull it from the East Coast if they need and maybe get a little bit faster of a connection, And even though it's already blazing fast. And then last but not least, they wrap it all up with this great interface. They have a very intuitive control panel, which power users can replicate on a larger scale with DigitalOcean's straightforward API. And their API rocks. They rev it, so they keep it up to date. They take in input from the community, and a bunch of really cool apps have been built around the DigitalOcean API. So go over to DigitalOcean and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL. LASTDIGITAL will give you a $10 credit. You can try out that $5 rig two months or get a little more expensive one. They have a really simple, straightforward pricing structure. In fact, they even offer hourly pricing. You can toggle it over and see what it would cost to run these things hourly. Now, start thinking about that, right? You tie in that API so that way you could spin up infrastructure on demand when you have load or when you have testing. And they have one-click deployments of applications. You can have GitLab up there. You can have your testing suite up there. All run in Linux, or they have FreeBSD droplets as well. And then last but not least, they have really, really fantastic documentation. And it really helps you take it up to the next level. Get a little bit more out of your droplet get some backups going, solve a problem you've had from time to time. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code LASTDIGITAL and see why I know and I've been using them like crazy now since just a little bit before they became a sponsor, really. DigitalOcean.com. Big thanks to DigitalOcean, promo code LASTDIGITAL. And thanks to our community members who use that promo code. That uh, keeps us going, keeps us on the air. And remember, you can apply it to your account. So that's pretty cool. You can apply it to your account right away and uh, get going. DigitalOcean.com, promo code LASTDIGITAL. No, are you an Evernote user? I am a huge Evernote user. Yeah, Evernote and Wonderlist, I think, are the two first things I install every Android device I, I put my hand on. So how much does it burn you that there's not an official, after all of these effing years, yeah. there's not an official Evernote client for Linux? I'll be honest with you. I have, I, have, I have done the ostrich thing to get over it. And the ostrich thing is that I just assume that there isn't an Evernote client for anything, and it's just a web-based service like Facebook. Nobody gets mad that there isn't a Facebook app for Windows or for <laughs> Linux. So I just that's how I look at Evernote. And if I think about it, it'll make me mad, so I just don't think about it. You know, I, I try to do that too, Noah, but then when I'm sitting there like actually researching on a topic, and I've got a bunch of information, i got all these links, and i got all this media, I immediately go, man, I wish I was alt-tabbing to another application and just pasting all this in there and saving it mm-hmm. to some local text files. And I think mm-hmm. the, there's a lot of people in the audience that feel this way. And so I was super, super thrilled when... 
Tag Spaces came across the subreddit, tagspaces.org. Tag Spaces is an open source personal data manager. It helps you organize your files with tags on every platform. It supports Markdown, plain text, and rich text, so you can do inline images. Uh, there's a demo you can go check out online at their site. And so you can do things with like tags, like getting things done, and you can have different subfolders for these things. So I've been researching a road trip uh, across US2 to uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota, and I'm really, really worried about what the hell am I going to do when I get to Montana? Like, am I going to be bored out of my skull as I'm driving through Montana? And so I've been trying to find something to do in Montana, something for God's sakes to do in Montana. And I've been using this program, Tag Spaces, to organize the different options. If you know of something to do in Montana, please let me know in the feedback thread in the subreddit. Uh, so it's tagspaces.org, and it's very much like Evernote with a couple of big key differentiators. No back end. So there's no login either, so that's kind of nice. Tag Spaces is running completely offline on your computer, smartphone, or tablet. There is a smartphone app uh, with mixed reviews. Um, and uh, you can still save your like your database to own cloud or Dropbox or BitTorrent Sync, and you can sync between your machines that way. Uh, of course, TechSpaces is open sourced and published under the AGPL license, so that's uh, that's kind of nice for something you're going to be stashing all of your information in. Um, and Noah, it it came uh, with a pretty good recommendation by Keltspots. Keltspots? I'm not sure. He says TechSpaces is running completely offline on your computer, smartphone, and tablet, and does not require internet connection or an online registration. This is the post he made in the Linux Action Show subreddit. He says you can still use platforms like OwnCloud or Dropbox, which is great. TechSpace offers you a convenient web interface for your local file system. It's implemented in JavaScript and HTML5, which are the technologies behind most of the modern web apps. You can edit, create notes in plain text, markdown, and HTML file formats. You can organize web pages saved in example like MHT or MHTML format. You can use Tag Spaces to organize your ebook library containing PDFs or EPUB books. You can use you can use it as a personal wiki for tracking your projects, ideas, and memories. Tag Spaces. What do you think, Noah? So I love the idea. I love the concept. And if it and if it if it if it solves an itch for you, uh, that's great. Here's why I won't probably won't be switching to it. There are a couple things where I like to have control over my data. Uh, email server would be what I'd really like to do, um, but maintaining a mail server is a pain. Uh, obviously, I, even though I've been bit by OwnCloud, I'm still trying to use OwnCloud as much as I can. But when it comes to Evernote, I use Evernote for nothing serious. It's all like little bits of information that I just have to I just have to remember for long enough. So, for example, when I do the um, when I do the the guide for uh, uh, for the uh, for the Yubi cancellation, right? That's something I keep in Evernote. And the reason for that is sometime, somewhere, someplace, a long, long time from now, I will be sitting down and I'll go, "Oh, I need to set this up again. I don't remember how I did that. Uh, I have a note there." If I had it on some sort of local system, the chances of me having that next with me are virtually nil. I think that's true unless you have a pretty good sync regimen worked out, like with OwnCloud or BitTorrent Sync or Dropbox. Like, I kind of do. So, so I kind of always have, like, I have folders where those things are just always synced, and I point my notes programs at those. And that's kind of nice. And see, this is all under my control. It's all in plain so what, text. What's, too. what sync program would I use? Whichever one you want, I suppose. I, I think reliably... I don't, trust, I don't trust OwnCloud to do it. And uh, BitTorrent Sync is is a... Is a is yeah, I have to exchange all those keys. That's not working real well. I don't really particularly care for Dropbox. I don't know. I, yeah. Maybe me, if I found a for good me, it's BitTorrent Sync and Dropbox so far. And, and you know what? Really, no, is we both should play again with Sync thing too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We really should. Yeah, I, I, I guess, I guess for me, if I was, if, if, if by the point, by the time I get to using Dropbox to, to, to do some of that stuff, I feel like. You've lost. Uh, the, the well, why, yeah, why lost. not just go back to Evernote? I, I so I, I don't, I don't know. Linux I, in, client. In, yeah. 
Yeah, okay, well, there's something to be said about that, but for the most part, I'm writing the stuff in Writer or in Gedit, and I'm just cop- I'm just yeah. using Evernote to yeah. store no, it once I follow it's done. You. I follow it. Um, so I probably won't switch. It's a really cool application, and if at any point in time I ever do get a really decent sync solution going on, um, I'd probably do that. But then there's another thing, too, which is that part of the problem with having your own sync solution and having your own tag space solution is then that this has to be maintained. I have to yes. do something with yeah. this. And the nice yeah. thing about Evernote is I literally, all, the only maintenance I've ever done Delete is it. I maintain my email address and my password mm-hmm. and everything else is taken care of. And I realize how cloudy that sounds. I think this is one of the few instances where mm-hmm. I'm willing to oh, say, you know fine. what, I'm just no, no, it's not fine. my battle No, here. it's yeah. fine. No, yeah. it's fine. Don't care about your privacy. No, yeah. We'll let fine. it go this time. No. No. You know, maybe you're too busy, no? Maybe that's what the problem is. And you need a tool that could help you save time. And that's our spotlight this week, Land Turtle by the folks from Hack5. This is pretty cool. Hey, no, they got a video, too. I want to play a little bit of it. The Land Turtle is a covert tool for getting shells. Hidden inside this normal-looking USB Ethernet adapter is a chip that runs open-source Turtle modules. And these modules do everything from maintaining remote access to performing man-in-the-middle attacks and scanning networks. Setting up the LAN Turtle is simple. Cool. The graphical shell guides you through the whole process. And curses. And the LAN Turtle is set and forget. So once you've configured it to your liking, just drop it on a network and it'll run those modules. Since it's a smart USB Ethernet adapter, you can plug it in between a computer and an Ethernet cable as usual. And now, poised as a man in the middle, you can (laughs) sniff up interesting network traffic or poison DNS, redirecting websites to the IP address of your choosing. I love it. And since it's USB-powered, it can be dropped on the LAN with any regular USB charger or battery pack. Love it. Best of all, the LAN Turtle is completely customizable to your needs using the free open-source Turtle modules. Need a persistent reverse shell on a network? Try AutoSSH. Want to integrate with Metasploit and pivot through the network? Well, use Meterpreter. Need to access every node on the LAN from wherever you are? OpenVPN will act as a site-to-site gateway, so whatever the LAN turtle can see, so can you from afar. The LAN turtle is great for penetration testers, systems administrators, and tech enthusiasts. And if you're looking for more modules, there's an entire download center to install more for free right from the LAN turtle. Learn more and get your LAN turtle now at LANTurtle.com. Now, that's How cool. cool is that? Isn't that neat? Not only yeah. is it not only is it really neat, but mad respect uh, to the Hack Five crew for this isn't like a Kickstarter either. Like this is available to buy right now. Yeah. That's yeah. that's nice because this feels like something mm-hmm. that would be like a Kickstarter Indiegogo crowdfunding mm-hmm. device. Uh, I love their IT do not remove a tape sticker they put on there, which is so perfect. And you know what? Legitimately, as a sysadmin, I'm sure you could have tons of real good uses oh, for this. Heck yeah! Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. It's it it uh, it. It's one of the, actually so the Hack Five group basically. I kind of watch them from time to time. Now this actually this was sent in by um, uh, who sent this in? This was sent in ben by H or Bent H. Ben, yeah, Bent H. Yeah, thank you. Bent. Um, so uh, so uh, but I, so I actually wasn't aware of it beforehand. But yeah, I did had the same reaction you did. As soon as I'm watching through, I'm like, I could use that here, and I could use that here, and that would solve this problem yeah, there. And yeah, I, I could figure this problem. Yeah, and the more tools you have like that in your toolbox, the faster you can get you can you can solve some of those problems. So now here's yeah, the cool I, part. You ready for this? Fifty bucks. Yeah, yeah, 50 yeah. Bucks. That's true. It's not very, but nothing from the, these guys are, are terribly expensive. I just they think all, it's brilliant because it it's the perfect man in the middle. Like he was saying, like if you want to do like some troubleshooting on your machine, you just like by by the very nature of this thing, you can put it between your network connection and your machine and just capture all of the things. It's brilliant, and I love it as a reverse auto SSH uh, connection. 
just, mm-hmm. you know, put it in somewhere here on the on the network and just always have a persistent reverse SSH. That's mm-hmm. super cool. And, uh, and, you know, obviously I love that it runs Linux, too. Oh, and I used to take, uh, it's not really the same thing, but I used to take Raspberry Pis and put them, uh, and I had them in a couple different places just so I would have that box that I could get into and, and have it call out and... Yeah. There's a there's a website. I don't. I, we were talking about them at uh, OSCON, but uh, site twenty four x seven, and basically uh, you install a little program on the on the on the Pi, and, and it creates a heartbeat that goes out to site twenty four x seven, and then uh, essentially what happens is if that if the, if the heartbeat is ever missed, I get a I get an email or I get a phone call or I get a text message or it starts a chain of events to let somebody know, hey, something's not right on the network because the 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 heartbeat was missed. Hmm. Um, so and yeah and and but this is this essentially it, it's kind of along the same lines right is that you have this tiny little computer and you can make it do work for you um, in the enterprise environment yeah uh, hey I just want to do a real quick mention uh, we're going to be at LinuxCon on uh, I think the Monday and Tuesday uh, so August seventeenth uh, and eighteenth I think is kind of our our plans will be maybe doing a Linux Unplugged live from LinuxCon. We should have a booth, and we'll be broadcasting under Linux. We'll have a live stream going. We don't have a meetup set up yet, but we will eventually at meetup.com slash Broadcasting. So you can sign up for the meetup page, and then you'll get a notification when it goes live. This is going to be in Seattle at the Sheraton uh, Hotel, and uh, there's going to be some big names there. There's going to be some really big names there. It's going to be neat, and we're going to have a booth. So come say hi. August 17th and 18th, I think, is our plans right mm-hmm. now. And uh, LinuxCon North America... I'm I'm already looking forward. That's our next big live event. But Noah, with the picks all done, let's do the news. Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by Ting.com. Go to last.ting.com to support the Linux Action Show and get yourself $25 off your first Ting device or $25 off Ting service, which actually paid for more than my first month. Ting is mobile that makes sense. It's no contract and no early termination fee. And you only pay for what you use. They start with $6, just the line, and it's your usage on top of that. And they have really great functionality and features. They have no-hold customer service, 8 a.m., between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. East Coast time. Um, Never actually called in, though. I've always been really happy with their uh, online dashboard system. And they have a great range of devices. But here's the secret. They're all unlocked. Like, let, just let that sink in for a second. You own these suckers. You can start with a $9 SIM card and then just pop that in a device that has uh, a GSM SIM or a CDMA SIM. And then you can get feature phones. Like, they just recently added the LG 450 that's under 60 bucks, which is nuts. Uh, and then you can look at some of the nice Android phones. They have some, like, the Motorola E second gen, $122 unlocked on Ting. Only pay for what you use. The iPhone 4S, $141. Then you can work your way up, right? Like they've got the Moto X2, $299, unlocked. You own that. $299 for a really great Android phone on the Ting service with no contracts, no overage charges, no mysterious line items on your bill, Online, unlimited devices, which is great. You just add it, and then it's just $6, which makes it really economical if you have a few devices. Like once you get – like if you're a small business, I, I would challenge you to try to find a way to save more money than by switching to Ting if you have 10 or more devices if you're a small business. And then there's the Samsung Galaxy S6. And they got the Nexus 5, which Noah's been rocking. How's the Nexus 5 working for you now, Noah? Amazing. I had, t- thanks, uh, thanks large part to Ting's customer service, because they kept running into uh, issues that weren't their fault, but, uh, but were issues nonetheless. And they continued to work with me until we found a solution that worked. But I, got, I have it activated now. I've been using it for a week. And uh, I, have, I have never been this attached to a, a smartphone. <laughs> I, have, I'm, I, still, I won't go as far as to say I'm excited about a smartphone or I'm excited <laughs> about Android. I can't go that far. But I, have, I live off the thing now. I, I actually, my laptop died 
um, yesterday or day before. And granted, I've been uh, vacationing, so to speak, so I haven't really had you know a whole lot of need to use a lot of technology. But I haven't touched my laptop. I've done everything and from the smartphone. Yes. I bought a Bluetooth <clears throat> keyboard, a Bluetooth mouse. You scored this great picture. Yeah, your... the camera on that thing is amazing. On the, yeah, that's the how we're on the. Yeah, we're on the. So I was, everyone is kind of making fun of me because we we get on the boats and everyone's enjoying peace and quiet. And I put a podcast on and plugged it into the boat. Oh boy! And, and I tell you another thing too. As a side, that I, I paired this. Have you seen those LG Bluetooth headphones? No. They're, so basically, it's a ring that goes around your neck, mm-hmm. and then uh, at the base of the ring, there are two little earbuds that pop out and pull into your ears. And then it's when you pop them out and put them in your ears, it turns on, connects to the phone, and then they're connected. And they then there's good? a little microphone. So yeah, they sound okay. Uh, but uh, the the advantage is when I'm done, I pull them back out of my ear and put them back, and then the whole thing shuts back down. If mm. I get a if I get a call, the the neck ring vibrates, and I can answer it, or I or I and can play a and pause. Yeah, there's a mic in it. Yeah, so and there's like it was like I think a hundred and some dollars, but there it it, it has. It, it it is it really 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 complements being able to use my smartphone uh, doing uh, podcasts because usually I just do it while I'm in the car. Now it's I was at a service call and I'm waiting for the uh, the contract company that we're working with to install some software. Right, put my earbud in, hit play, and yeah. I'm listening to it. They come back to the phone, I pull it back out, and I go, oh, okay, do what I need to do, <laughs> go back to it. I was walking up and down the halls. Uh, we were getting uh, analysis to see where we are going to put access points. We were measuring uh, interference and stuff like that. Yeah. I was walking up down the hallway, pull them back out, put them in. And it, it, like, the, between the Nexus 5, Ting, and my little LG headset, I feel like I have, I have unlocked a whole new level yeah. of technology. It is. Just, uh, the, it's crazy. Because you only pay for what you use and there's no contract, mm-hmm. it, it, it sort of changes the sensation so that it, it feels like it's on your terms. And, it's, and so you, you have all this great technology, but so often in mobile, you feel like, you feel like you're kind of you've – been, you've been sucked in. You've been gimmicked in a little bit. You've been tricked just a little bit. Yeah. But with Ting, because it's pay for what you use, it's only $6, and you can deactivate and activate and move between devices as you want. It, it really does feel like it's under your control. And until you experience that sensation, uh, you don't quite get the Ting experience. And then once well, you in- try it, it's really great. Well, and it was like when I was having trouble with, with this phone, I was having trouble getting it activated. At, at the t- if it was any other carrier, I would have said, I'm switching to the Nexus 5. Go ahead and take my number from my, my S4, put it on this phone, and I'm going to use it. I didn't do that. I, called, I, I activated this device, and I threw my S4 in the box and said, well, I guess I'm done with that for a couple months. But I didn't disactivate. There's no reason to deactivate it because, like you said, 6 bucks cost me 60, a little over $60 for the, $72 for the year to leave it just sitting somewhere. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, and so then when this didn't work out, I just ran downstairs. I'm like, well, I'm going to Use this for another yeah, day, and no I used deal. it for a day. And but I left the Nexus Five activated. Actually, it was for a while the Nexus Five was activated twice because it was activated both on CDMA and on GSM. Baller. Uh, yeah, and then and then when I got done, I just kind of swapped them out. But there was no waiting for activation. There was no going into the store. There was no reprogramming the phone. That's right. None of that crap. I just turned it off. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where else are you going to do that? All right. Now we got one. Uh, we got one app pick from Kyra to get through, and I, I'm looking forward to this one because uh, we only Me heard too. the first couple of seconds of the introduction. Yeah. We're like, this is our app pick this week. So Kyra, yeah. take it away. In the words of our local brewery, do one thing really, really well. I'm Kyra, and this is Ting's app of the week. Image Shrink is a simple app that lets you resize your photos before sharing them with friends or across your social media channels. This comes in handy if you're looking to save on mobile data or you need to send a picture of a certain size. Image Shrink isn't used by opening the app. It only displays the settings menu. Here, you can choose the image size and image quality, along with default apps and deletion options. There are two different ways you can resize and compress a photo using Image Shrink. Find the photo in your gallery, share with Image Shrink, choose your image size, and send to the desired channel. Or, when attaching a file from inside an app, Choose Image Shrink, Gallery, 
select your photo, and pick your image size. And remember, your resized pics are stored in a separate directory and won't overwrite your original snaps. I like that. You can delete the shrunken images at any time inside Image Shrink settings menu. Ooh, I like that too. Image Shrink is also great if you're in a weak network area because you can upload a lower quality version of the image much quicker. Oh, that could be nice You can find the light version of this app in the Google Play Store or for an extra two bucks, you can buy the paid version with a few extra features. I'm Kyra. Thanks for watching and make sure to subscribe to our channel for future app reviews. Last.ting.com to get the discount and support the show. Last.ting.com. And, you know, I could see us using that because, like, when we were at OSCON, for example, I was taking pictures uh, in Telegram and sending them to Angela so she could mm-hmm. post online who you're talking to. And sometimes the coverage, you know, with the Wi-Fi network or the cellular, because there's all them phones in there, can get cray. And so if you can send a lower-quality uh, picture, that's pretty nice. Last.ting.com. So let's kind of stick in the mobile arena, but we'll talk about Mozilla, and it also is related to our topic later today, Windows 10. So Chris Beard, who is Mozilla's uh, CEO, has sent uh, Satya Nadella, who is Microsoft's CEO, a big hug in a box. Well, sort of, kind of. Uh, he sent them an open letter where he criticizes his, his uh, peer for Windows 10 and the decision to automatically update systems Windows 10 and then switch the default browser over to Microsoft's Edge browser. And... Uh, Particularly egregious is if you're updating, say, a Windows uh, 8 or 7 installation, and you have Chrome or Firefox set as your default browser, when you're installing the Windows 10 upgrade, if you choose to use the Express Settings option, which is A, the default, B, the Microsoft recommended, and C, the thing that most users will do, it'll automatically override your default web browser setting and change it to Microsoft Edge. And here's the other thing that's kind of tricky, is it can sometimes, under certain conditions, reprompt the user to set it back to Edge again when they set it back to Chrome or Firefox or something like that. So, Baird writes Nadal and says, I'm writing you about a very disturbing aspect of Windows 10. Specifically, that the update experience appears to have been designed to throw away the choice your customers made about their internet experience they want and replace it with an internet experience Microsoft wants them to have. He goes on to say... When we first saw the Windows 10 upgrade experience that strips out users' choice by effectively overriding their existing user preference for the browser and other apps, we reached out to your team to discuss the issue. Unfortunately, it didn't result in any meaningful progress, hence this letter. Uh, now, uh, he goes on to say that these changes are unsettling to us because we're the organization, not, bec- they're unsettling to, uh, they are, sorry, sorry, these changes aren't unsettling to us because we're the organization that makes Firefox. They're unsettling because there are millions of users who love Windows who are having their choices ignored. We strongly urge you to reconsider your business tactic here and, again, respect people's right to choose control of their online experience. What do you think, Noah? Is it as dramatic as that? You know, so uh, I'll start out with this. Uh, When I was in college, I had a guy that came to talk about advertising, and he owned an alcohol store, and he talked about how he would rather nobody buy his product than to abuse alcohol. And all I could think about was that I don't believe him. I don't buy it for a second. I mean, at the end of the day, he makes a lot of money off of college kids coming in and buying beer for beer pong. And that if you are in business to make money, that, that is, that, that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And by the same token, there's nothing wrong with Mozilla saying, we make a competing web browser. We happen to think our web browser is better. And most users tend to agree with us. Yeah. And so that's why we have a problem with it. This whole nonsense about we, we don't care because we make a, a competing web browser. Yeah, just drop yes, that. You do. Yes, yeah, you, you do. do. Just, yes, that's why now, you here's care. Here's the thing, though. He's right. And second of all, I think he's also right because I think it's in poor taste that Microsoft has chosen to make Edge the default browser. It's just simply not done yet. As 
far as features go, I, mm-hmm. I, it is unquestionably that Firefox offers a lot more advantages to users of a mo- and, and, and a lot more things they expect from a modern web browser than what Edge does today. Edge does the basics. We'll get to that in the Windows 10 review. But it is not feature comparable to Chrome or Firefox. Mm-hmm. And so if the user has selectively, specifically said, I opt to use this browser, in the case of Windows, that means that user, a Windows user, went out mm-hmm. to the internet, found another browser, downloaded that browser, right. ran that installation, left the make it default, kept it that way after that choice, and then when they upgraded, Microsoft yeah. undid that choice and replaced it with a browser that is not competitive in features. But let's be honest. What's gonna ha- all Microsoft is really accomplishing? No, like for every reason that you just said, they are not going to gain any traction. Anyone that went through all those steps is not going to open up and and go. Oh well, I guess now I use Edge because. Uh yeah. The default change. Like that, that's not going to happen. If you went through all that trouble the first time, yeah. you're obviously going to open. You, they don't, probably don't even. They, all that's going to happen is when somebody clicks on a hyperlink inside of, uh, uh, you know, Thunderbird or whatever the Microsoft Mail client is, mm-hmm. they click on a hyperlink. It's going to open up, and they're going to go, "Why the heck is this open? Where's Where's Firefox? Now Why isn't somebody with Firefox?" Here's the that's last, all they're going to accomplish. Gonna here's the last nasty blocked. thing, though, Noah, and it makes it a little more challenging. It makes the edge it makes the edge browser choice a little stickier. Is Microsoft is also I don't know if they've removed it or changed the API that browsers can use to set the default. So now when you download Chrome on Windows 10 and you go to say and it says would you like when would you like Chrome to be the default browser? When when you know have you you know you install you, you first time you launch a browser it says would you like Firefox or Chrome to be the default browser? When you say yes, it doesn't set the default browser now. It launches the control panel applet where you then have can scroll down to the bottom of yeah. the screen and then right. from there choose the default browser. It just takes mm-hmm. you to that window now. That's a, that's a little dirtier play. I, I guess, but at the same time, if you think about it, that is kind of how Android works, right? They have a, they have a, a, a global-based place where you can set or reset your uh, system default. Yes or no, so but, I, but I, Android I, also prompts you on the first time you run, uh, the first time you go to take an true. action, it says, which, which one would you like to use and would you like to that's keep it true. that way? That's true. That's true. And you can choose to, to either continue to perpetuate it or just set it permanently, and then it gives you a message to show you where that global thing is. But I guess I don't fault Microsoft. If the, I wouldn't, is it, do I think it's ideal? No. But do I really fault Microsoft? Microsoft for wanting to globalize, uh, you know, a system-wide setting. If they want to do it that way, I don't really care. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and frankly, you know I don't think they're going to accomplish anything other than pissing people off. No, you so. know what's funny, actually, is what it really is, is because this is what got Microsoft in trouble with the DOJ in the 90s. Everybody knows yeah. that, the whole Internet Explorer thing. The fact yeah. that they're even doing this again shows you how irrelevant they've become. Because yeah. they can do the very thing that got them in trouble with an, in an antitrust suit, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter. Because they just aren't as relevant of a player anymore. They're, 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 the, 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 mobile, the mobile ecosystem has made people's attention sort of turn away from the Windows, even though they've still got tons of users. Like, it's just people just don't consider them as relevant anymore, and it just doesn't move the dial like it used to. And, and it will be interesting to see now in a couple of months what the Edge browser market share uh, uh, edges its way up to. <laughs> That'll be interesting. Here, so think about that for a second. If you are a company, and I've worked with some companies that had uh, security cameras are a big one. They have a lot of security man- com- or security camera DVR manufacturers have their control suite uh, runs in ActiveX and thus runs an Internet Explorer. Actually, that's probably the, the most uh, prolific example I've seen. But if you are a company that is making some sort of application, who's going to develop for Edge? I mean, really, what is the what is the competitive advantage for for de- yeah. developing for Edge when when Chrome and Mo- and Firefox are such 
established web browsers with virtually no downsides to them. I mean, is there, there, is there anyone out there that, I mean, even if you have a preference for Firefox or Chrome, is there anyone out there that would say either of those two browsers are a bad web browser that either give you a bad experience? And they killed Internet Explorer. Good for them. That's good. Nobody liked it anyway. But the idea that Microsoft is going to invent a new web browser, I think, is silly to me. Well, I, I, all right. And I want to stop right there. I really don't want to talk about this too much more. But okay. uh, one more thing, uh, just to clarify something that's coming up in the chat room. I'm not saying Microsoft doesn't have a relevant dominant position in the market. I'm saying people's interest doesn't seem to care anymore. Mm-hmm. They've, but they've right. made this action and it doesn't really seem to move the dial. I'm not saying they, they probably still have somewhere around like a billion users. I mean, obviously, they're still a relevant platform. Uh, so last but not least, uh, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to make that clarification. And second of all, I think the fact that the, the edge isn't going to take off, people aren't going to target edge, is another example of what I just said. They're just not a very relevant player in the sense of people's attention or developers' time. There mm-hmm. we go. All right, moving on from that. I thought this next story was kind of interesting. Noah, you, you kind of on the fence about Samsung SSDs, right? Yeah, no, I'm not on the fence. I freaking love Samsung SSDs. Oh. I was really all right. So, dude, did you, I haven't given you my spiel. Well, okay. So the hold on. A second. Pro is like the best drive I've did ever you, had. So, were you a sad panda when all of this yes, stuff? Yes, I was a sad panda. Right. I was furious. All right. So, so for people who don't know, uh, there is a situation around uh, Samsung <laughs> SSDs where it appeared to be like a bug in the Samsung controller was hitting up against uh, Linux rigs that had RAID zero, RAID ten configs, and actually even causing some data loss. Uh, and they said, oh, it looks like a bug in the trim code in the controller, something along with the trim code. And then there was some back and forth about whose fault it really was. Well, the thing is, the open source never lies. It appears actually it was a bug in the Linux trim code in the kernel, and Samsung has submitted a patch. Your Samsung SSDs, Noah, are not buggy. They are perfectly safe. After many complaints that Samsung SSDs corrupted data when used with Linux... Samsung found out that the bug was in the Linux kernel and submitted a patch to fix it. It turns out kernels without the final fix can corrupt data if the system is using MD RAID with RAID 0 or RAID 10 and issues a trim and discard command, uh, either FS trim or by the file system itself. The vendor of the drive did not matter. And the previous blacklisting of Samsung drives, which is what the first response was, for broken queued trim support can most likely be linked to, uh, can, can most likely be lifted now after other tests have been conducted. This has been a bug that's been around for a long time. This is a bug that is in a lot of previous Linux kernels now. And it's a bug that affects more than just Samsung SSDs. So if you're using one of them distros that has an older kernel, make sure that your distro is backporting this particular fix. Keep an eye out. We'll have a link in the show notes. Because apparently it affects other... It could even maybe potentially impact like Intel SSDs and so on. Kind of a nasty one. Yeah, so I, I originally, when, it, when I, my first SSD was an in, Intel one, and I'd done a ton of research and found that that was kind of the SSD device, I bought one. And I was, uh, I was visiting with, uh, with the, another gentleman that also owns an IT consulting company, and he said, I have a tip for you. He goes, I, I, I bought this drive, was, at the time it was 840, and he goes, 840 Pro, he's like, it is the fastest drive, most reliable drive you'll ever spend money on. Buy one, see what you think of it. I said, all right. So I, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty happy at the Intel. I don't really see a need to, but sure, we'll give it a shot. Bought one, put it in my laptop, and I was blown away at how fast it was. And that week, I went and replaced every drive (laughs) on every main computer. My office computer, my desktop, my laptop, my wife's laptop, every one of them had 840 Pros. Pros. And then when the 850 came out, I was actually talking with with a couple of guys in the mumble room, and a couple of them work um, in in data centers and, and do stuff like that. And he said, you know, we have, you know, a lot of Intel drives that we use in the servers, you might try putting in your servers, instead of buying the, the Intel Enterprise ones, even though they're not technically rated for enterprise-grade use, throw a couple 850s in there. And so now I have three servers that are running 850s in my servers, and they are amazing. They're just the best best drives money can buy. 
not the Evo, the Pro. There's there is a difference yeah, there, but yeah. the, the Pros are just phenomenal. They are worth every penny. And if I buy an SSD, if if I have a choice, I mean, you you've been with me at Best Buy. I look at the rack and I'm like, well, well they yeah, all suck, yeah, so we'll yeah. go with the cheapest one. But yeah. if I have a choice and I really want to buy something good, you tear that broadcasting rig, you'll find uh, 850 Pros in there. And the reason is because they're just amazing hmm. and they work forever and they're so super fast. Samsung wasn't like totally, totally, totally without fault. I guess a couple mm-hmm. of their SSD drives do advertise like support for type of trim commands and Q commands that the firmware isn't actually doing correctly. And so that did sort of lead people to point the finger at Samsung. So all of the Samsung bashing wasn't totally unfounded, mm-hmm. but uh, it basically people saw that and sort of made a mountain out of a molehill there uh, when mm-hmm. there really was a bug, specifically with Linux kernel when using MD RAID 0 or RAID 10. But it's good that it's fixed now, right? It's good that it's fixed. All right, mm-hmm. so let's move on. Something that we've actually, it, we've made it a runs Linux, and it's, number, it's one of the number one submitted runs Linux submissions, even though we were one of the first people that ever talked about this before anybody else reported it, really. We mm-hmm. talked about it here on Linux Action Show. It's these rifles that run Linux. And as you would expect, because it's old, it's running vulnerable Software. We talked about this thing like three or four years ago, and they have not updated the software stack on it. And so uh, Wired has a good spooky story about being able to hack a rifle and change the target and trajectory of the bullet remotely. Let's take a look. It's got video. we got to watch a little bit of this. Hopefully it doesn't get us pulled down. so loading the bullet in a hacking point TP750 rifle. The TP750 is a computer-assisted self-aiming, long-range sniper rifle. Its targeting system guarantees almost foolproof accuracy by firing not when the shooter first pulls the trigger, but instead only after the barrel is perfectly lined up with the target. So when I push the red button that's right above the trigger, the crosshairs turn blue so that I can line up exactly where I want to hit. When I let the red button go, the blue crosshairs will turn red. And when I then pull the trigger, the crosshairs turn red, and the scope will fire when I manage to line up the shot. The $13,000 rifle promises accuracy to even the most novice shooters. But security researchers Runa Sandvik and her husband, Michael Auger, have found ways to hack the gun via its Wi-Fi connection. We found that we could make the shooter miss the shot, either by just a tiny bit or completely off even to the point of hitting the target that's next to the one that the shooter is aiming for. Tracking point rifles offer a Wi-Fi connection that allows a nearby computer to stream the video from the scope or even change settings like wind, temperature, and ammunition weight. We found a way to connect directly to the computer that's inside of it and change the same values, but in such a way that it doesn't show up in the screen. What we're doing now is we are connected to the back end and we are changing the weight of the bullet so that when the scope does the calculations to figure out when it needs to fire and what the the other settings need to be for it to hit the tag, then it's going to miss. So it's going to hit the one on the left. Watch that. Look at that. Look at that. Lining up to take the shot. Boom. Boom. And there, here you go. Hit the target on the left. Center. Come on, that Almost is center. that is come That's on. That's a little creepy. Now, yeah. now I know we all love our Linux in all kinds of places, Noah. But I was yeah. just thinking maybe this would be a place we don't put our Linux or anything really. Maybe yeah. we just keep that at a hardware level. This is some really interesting, and it's a married couple who uh, who did this research, uh, and they're going to be talking about it at a, at a black hat, at the Black Hat conference. Uh, so a couple of things. As a avid firearm enthusiast and as a firearm instructor, I 
if you want to learn how to shoot a rifle, go learn how to shoot a rifle. If you want the computer to shoot the rifle for it, I, I, I don't know that I can really get behind a computer-powered rifle to begin with. It yeah. Just, I yeah mean, here's a couple things that, that jumped out at me. Uh, so yeah. what they found is they could ch- use a chain of vulnerabilities in the rifle's software stack to take control of the self-aiming functions. So the first of these has to do with the Wi-Fi. Uh, which is off by default, but it's a gun that's got Wi-Fi, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, it can also be enabled so you can do things like stream video of your shoot to a network camera uh, or to a laptop or an iPad for remote viewing. So that's why it has Wi-Fi. It's for high bandwidth, uh, things like that. When the Wi-Fi's on, the gun's network has a default password that allows anyone within Wi-Fi range to connect to it. From there, a hacker can treat the gun as a server and access APIs to alter key variables in its targeting application. So it's got a de- once you figure out the-, the gun has a default password, dude. The gun has How- a default password. Can- the gun has a default password, Noah. Every computer device that ships for the purpose of, of mass production, ha- for the most part, has a, a, a default password. I've installed. I've installed. No, you, you can know, you can generate random passwords or keys. I this you is could perhaps but I mean, the opportunity to take that challenge on. Maybe maybe because Noah, it's a self shooting. Rifle, well, self-targeting yeah, shooting let's, rifle. Let's not, let's not blow this out of proportion. Uh, the, 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 you can uh, so so. Hey, well, hold on, no, talking- breaking news. Memphis. Oh, I just got breaking news on my Windows 10 desktop about Memphis I police. See. Yeah, okay, sorry. Go ahead. Can we continue with the show? Yeah, go ahead. No, need, no, it's need fine. Another minute. You I, sure it doesn't? Well, need I'm not sure. Hold on, it just okay. gave me a notification. All right, All right good. Okay. Continue. Well, on. If Windows. If Windows would allow us to continue, maybe we could finish with the show. I almost lost my thought there. No, I got it back. Uh, so. With when you're talking about so we look at the trajectory of a rifle or any gun really as a cone. The further it goes away from the muzzle, the the wider that cone gets, right? And 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 so you lose. So the 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 rule of thumb is at ten feet one one inch off, you'll miss your target by uh, five inches. So if you have if if you look at even a rifle, even if they're at the you know hundred yards or two hundred yards, the most that that even the computer is going to be able to move the targeting system, the most it's going to be able to move it. it there is still a range, right? It's still somewhere downrange, so to speak. That's all it takes, though. But yeah, so I mean, so yes. Just ask if President Kennedy, to, Noah. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So if you happen to have the guy you want to shoot standing in a relative close proximity to the person you wanted to pretend to shoot or whatever. Or then just yes, not shoot you, somebody if you just wanted to prevent yeah. somebody from being shot. Yeah, I guess I guess you could do that, yeah. but I mean, really, I just I don't I don't really see it. And I mean, let's face it any any actual team of people that are using actual rifles to accomplish actual missions are probably not using that. They're probably using. I got a an idea. Hunting. I got an idea. Let's do this. Let's what? just let's just open up a consulting firm. We'll call it, we'll call it Action Consulting. Okay. Okay. And you right. and I will go down there, and I'll be like, okay, here's what you do. Okay. Uh, don't have Wi-Fi. Okay. Just do that. Uh, don't have Bluetooth. Okay. Yep. And. Uh, That'll be uh, ten thousand dollars. Thank you yeah. so much. That it's just, so here, here. Let me take your rifle with the computer attached. I'll rip the computer off. I'll hand the computer to you, bro. You take it, walk that way. Bro. I'll hand the rifle back to them, and we'll bro. each take five grand. Don't what? play like you don't know about USB C. Don't play like USB three isn't a thing or USB. Don't don't play like they can't well, HDMI all, that stuff. Oh, okay, all right. So somebody, so a hacker now is going to sneak up to the rifle and yeah. plug into it. That's no, what, exactly. That's that that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. You, th- yeah. Just just remove all the remote control stuff. Remove the yeah. Wi-Fi, the Bluetooth, the radio, whatever. And if you want a video feed out of the computer, have an HDMI cable. And if you want to yeah, update fair. the programming, use a USB cord because you're probably if you're if you're somebody that's about to murder somebody in the face you're probably going to notice somebody coming up and hooking up an hdmi cable to your maybe to your gun maybe unless you're in the zone then maybe you wouldn't notice yeah i don't know about the zone i'm not a, yeah. i'm not a, i'm not a killer well, i'm just saying yeah, just... <laughs> <laughs> all right no, no. Well, uh, <laughs> what if, the next if you were you'd understand <laughs>
<laughs> Let's talk about Cody. Here's a killer of media files. What's up? Cody 15.0 is out. No fancy names, but it's got a few features that have been requested over five years ago, and some they are less than five months old. And uh, there's now uh, a massive amount of Android installs uh, with this version as well. It's pretty yeah. cool. Do you want to sh- do you want to know what you know what, you want to see my latest Cody rig? Yeah, yeah, you got one. What you got? Yeah, I do. How are you going to so, show it to me? So, uh, well, I don't know. I'm fi- I'm in the process of figuring that out. Do you this have is video live, this is live production. Do you, can uh, you no. switch to that? No, no, no. no I'm going to have to telegram it to you. We're, we'll figure it out. We, we got. Oh this. my goodness. So, so essentially, here's so here's here's what's going on. The is telegram. I really like my Western Digital Live, and yeah, despite numerous numerous people telling me that what I should do is just buy a computer and install Cody on it, and plug in an IR dongle, and then pair that to a RF keyboard, and then have all these wires. Instead of doing all that, you've well, hold on, before a you reveal that, it. Before you reveal it, this is actually perfect. Hold on, before you reveal, because this is so. Here's the thing. So uh, there, this is part of the story. Is they are working with these somebody just like what you've got. What you've got there. What we're about to show. Yeah. Uh, for Cody 15, this is like a big part of what they're doing now. And you just kind of you just kind of start right. building this yourself. I, so, uh, hold on. One thing is this guy, just for us Linux users, just a quick thing, FFmpeg 2.63 has now been updated, and Ubuntu 12.04 support has been dropped. There's also a bunch of other nice features and changes, like uh, chapter support and a bunch of other things we have in the show notes. But one of the cool things is, is they're starting now to work with hardware vendors. And, Noah, you've got, I don't know if this is an official one, but this is a really cool one. Yeah, so basically, I bought a box that comes with Kodi installed and its own little IR, Zeno- not RF, Zeno- IR remote. Z- yeah, Zenopeg. So, I don't know how to pronounce it. Some Chinese brand, but the the point is, uh, is I, I bought a forty five dollar box that runs Kodi out of the box, and what I can do mm. is, if I want to, I can exit out of Kodi and go back into Android and use things like the web browser or Netflix or whatever other thing I might want to use that Kodi may or may not have support for, but. Um, I have a Kodi box. I have a I have a built and I didn't have to do anything and I didn't have to install anything and I didn't have to configure anything. And sorry everyone that was giving tiny? us crap before. It looks yeah, like it's, it's the same size as Western Digital. Yeah. And sorry to everyone that was giving us crap a couple weeks ago, but no, I did not have to do any special thing to get it to connect to the network. I had there was a built-in utility to do Wi-Fi, built-in utility to do wired connection. I literally took it out of the box, I plugged it in, and I was playing my media locally. No media server, nothing special, just streamed it right off my file server. It was able to open ISOs, able to play MKVs, play it's played every format I've thrown at it, um, and it's a $45 box, and it's Prime eligible. How do you not like that? So, yeah, I you think... You should put a uh, link to that in the show notes. I think we should. Yeah, put a link to that. Hmm. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And so congratulations to Cody. It's really looking good. A lot of good stuff in there. All right, Noah, last story in the news. I know you're not a... Are you, well... What is your opinion on Nautilus? I'm, a, I'm actually kind of like it these days. I'm, I'm a weirdo. You, uh, do, you, do you use Nautilus? Yeah, I do. I like it. Well, there's some changes coming uh, that are, are uh, coming your way that hopefully you won't even notice. And I just thought this was kind of neat to, to touch on this kind of stuff. So Nautilus cold, code, get this, is almost 20 years old now. Which makes me... That's unbelievable because I, I remember... That can't be because I remember when Nautilus... Wow. Uh, and so there's been a lot of contributors who've come along, you know, they've added code, and just because of that, it's in, uh, Nautilus itself is in a pretty bad state. So before they started adding new features, um, the new places view code, uh, they wanted to sort of clean things up, and they've already made some improvements. So, Noah, if you look closely here, here is, uh, now tell me if you can notice a difference. Here is the before, mm-hmm. the code cleanup, Nautilus, okay? Mm-hmm. 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 And here's the after. 
I'm glad there are people like you that can figure this stuff there out. There is actually one difference. Same to me. Oh, good. There good. is, but actually that was the whole point. Uh, you're not supposed to really notice any difference. The entire work has not been related to the UI. Instead, it's been a major reorganization of the underlying code, cleanup phase, and end users hopefully won't notice any much different. Uh, they moved management of empty states. Uh, they've moved the floating bar viewer, so there's some changes there. They've cleaned up reorganization of focus chain icons. Um, bunch of annoying bugs have been cleaned up, but nothing major. A uh, whole bunch of uh, almost 500 lines of code have been pulled out. About 300 new lines of cleanup code. Kind of nice to see changes coming to Nautilus. There is actually, I'll tell you, you want, you want to know where the it's tiny itsy bitsy changes? Hmm. If you look right here at the top of the places bar, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a little bit of a, a white pixel line. And then if you look at the old one, now did no you line. Did you research this or you notice this yourself? I noticed that. I see, and I don't. I don't doubt that he will do that. Like it, it, it is, it is almost superhuman in, in nature, and you don't believe. You don't believe it. You laugh, but you don't. Most people wouldn't believe it. Everyone that if you come around him, you'll be like, "Oh, he must have read that somewhere. He researched it." But he actually, like, even if it's things like it, we're at McDonald's and they'll hand a hamburger, and you'll be like, "That one has three creases, and that one has a half of a crease." There, you'll uh, notice like the most random things. So I perfectly believe that you were browsing through your thing. And you're like, "Oh yeah, oh they do look different." There's a there's a one pixel bar <laughs> along the top. That would so, be something you. Would so get. no. Uh, you can see people are showing up late in the chat room. They're like, why the hell is Chris running Windows? Uh, why yes, are you running Windows? We, uh, this week in the, the Linux Action Show, we're going to do the, uh, an- the hype antidote, and we are going to review Windows 10 from two perspectives of longtime Linux users now. So, uh, Noah, that's all the news for this week. Windows 10 is such an important release. Microsoft skipped version 9 altogether to get it out in the public's hand. They've been working on it pretty hard. Lots of hype around it. And a lot of people feel they've taken some features directly from the Linux desktop. So this week on the Linux Action Show, two hardcore Linux users are going to run Windows 10 and give you our take on it. A, how it holds up as a general consumer operating system. B, if there's really anything that Linux users need to worry about. And C, is it going to be pulling people away from Linux? And if people are going to be considering the two options, uh, what are the strengths of each individual platform? We're going to dig into that and a lot more. And the issues and interesting, good, maybe possibly even kind of nice things we ran into when, during our time with Windows 10. But first... I want to thank our segment sponsor, System76. Creators, designers, originators of machines born to run Ubuntu Linux. I love it because they go through and make sure that everything individually not just works today, but will keep working. And that's why System76 gets Linux, because they understand it's always an evolving, moving forward platform. That's why they ship the latest version. They know that's what they need to do to take advantage of the latest hardware. And that's why they make sure their systems are designed to work with Ubuntu. And man, you should also check out some of their awesome desktops, like their Meerkat or their Sable or their Rattel Performance, all the way up to Leopard Extreme and the new Silverback workstations, all hardcore systems design to run Linux. Then you get the support of System76. Your money's going towards a company that helps the Linux community. And not only that, but you always know if you ever run into any issues or you want to switch distributions, it's not going to be a big hassle because Linux is what they understand and Linux is what they support. And I love the fact that with all the System76 rigs, I can jump around between different distributions and everything always works out really good. They've got new swag up on their site now too and 12-month financing available. System76.com. Go over there and tell them Linux Action Show sent you when you get something. And get yourself something nice, too. System76.com. This Wednesday, I think it was, was the general public availability of Windows 10. And I, I, I just being a uh, kind of a noob, 
I just assumed that meant I could go to the store and buy a copy of Windows 10. Uh, and I have to tell you, I walked out of Best Buy a little bit uh, disappointed. I went over there and I, I captured because I was, I, was, I was a little dumbfounded by my conversation. So I'm just walking out of Best Buy after trying to buy Windows 10 and I'm discovering something rather interesting. Even though Windows 10 launched, it's not available in the store. I have a couple of options. I can buy Windows 8 and then go home and download Windows 10 and upgrade my PC. Or I can buy a computer and the Geek Squad will upgrade it for me to Windows 10. Or I can bring my computer in, buy their Windows 10 image, have them deploy it on my machine, but I don't actually get to keep it or get a box copy or a thumb drive. There's no way for me to actually come home with a version of Windows 10 today. I can only buy Windows 8 and they don't know when that's gonna change. So instead, I bought a thumb drive and I'm going to download the ISO and flash it myself. How hard could that be? What could go wrong? I figured, Noah, what could go wrong? So I downloaded the Windows 10 ISO. I got DD Rescue ready, and I went to work. Okay, so extreme excitement is currently happening right now. I've gotten the USB thumb drive actually plugged into my USB port. Look at me like I'm an advanced user. And I'm using DD Rescue right now to write the Windows 10 ISO. Can you see it there up in the corner? Ooh, I'm writing the Windows 10 ISO up here in my office above the studio to a thumb drive. Once this completes, I'm gonna take it down to a machine, I'm gonna grab somebody who's working down there, smack him across her fa his face, I'm not gonna say who, take that machine and put Windows 10 on it. And we're gonna see how it goes. I'm a little nervous. Now, it actually ended up being a laptop rampage. I had to go on a laptop rampage. You yeah. would think this wouldn't be so bad. So first of all, uh, my DD uh, rescue image didn't work at all. I don't know why. When I, when I tried to boot off of it, I got invalid partition. Um, so I ended up having to grab somebody else's machine who had an old copy of Windows on there, downloaded this program called Rufus, and then used Rufus to write the thumb drive image. I don't know why that worked, but it did. Then I went down a series of different machines trying to get it installed on. The first machine I went to was a Bonobo Extreme. It's my go-to rig. I put a lot of test stuff on there. We have, a, we have a Bonobo Extreme dedicated just to testing here in the studio. For whatever reason, this has never happened, but for whatever reason, Windows 10 installer did not detect the SSD drive in the Bonobo. Now, I've never had a version of Windows that's done this. I've never had a Linux distribution that's done this or even a BSD that's done this. They've all always detected the drive. There's a 120 gigabyte Samsung SSD in there. But for whatever reason, the Windows 10 installer didn't see it. So then I decided I would try it on an XPS 13. I backed up the XPS 13 and I installed Windows 10 on it. However, Noah, <laughs> what I continued to run into was a series of errors after errors. I captured one right here. Uh, for example, when I tried to install the sound driver, every time the system booted up, I got a bunch of DLL errors on, uh, up in my face, and I had to go into the task manager, which is now where you disable running programs, and I had to disable the uh, Realtek drivers from trying to start a boot. Um, then I had to go over to Dell's website and try to have it go through and detect my drivers using Internet Explorer. And then it downloaded a bogus driver for me, which really what I realized is I first then had to do a, a BIOS update. And then Windows Update did eventually manage to download it, but it couldn't download the Synaptic driver for whatever reason. It could never successfully download the Synaptics driver, so the touchpad was totally crazy. So I bailed on the XPS 13, and I went and grabbed Angela's Yoga, and I backed up her Yoga, and now I've installed Windows 10 on her Yoga. But now I don't have certain, for whatever reason, and everything works except for things like no scrolling. I don't have two-finger scrolling for mm -hmm. some reason. You know, those kinds of things don't work. But other than that, I mean, it's been, it has been a process to get this, this operating system installed. So my install was way easier than yours. I didn't have nearly that, that much trouble. It 
it it probably doesn't hurt the fact that I own an IT company. So I went into our big drawer of disks that Dell sends us every year and pulled out the latest Windows 8, put that in the computer, installed that on a, on a spare laptop that I had, and then uh, oh, I, am not, I am not wiping my data off uh, to try this piece of crap. And put the disk in, uh, installed Windows 8, and then, uh, yeah, I did the upgrade route. Although I, am, I, I, I did become aware that uh, Microsoft Store actually has Windows 10 for uh, purchase and download. Now, I can tell you when that became available, yeah. um, but you can buy it now. Yeah, and how you actually get there is kind of funny. Like, uh, you, it's not, you can't just go to the store and find it. Uh, the way you get there is, uh, let's see if we can, let's see if we'll, we'll try it right, live right now. Let's see, uh, this is an unactivated copy of Windows 10 right here. Now, if I wanted to activate this copy of Windows 10, I would go to the new settings screen, which looks a lot like KDE 5. This, everybody just take a minute and look at that and tell me, this, that's, not, that's not Plasma. That's Windows 10. Uh, now I'm going to go, see right here, Windows isn't activated. Activate Windows now. Now if I click this, this comes up. But see, I don't have a product key, and Windows isn't actually activated. So now in the activation screen, I can now say go to store. And now when I go to store, I can then buy it for $200. But otherwise, I can't find this in the Windows 10 store. And so I did this, actually. I actually bought Windows 10 just for this frickin' review. And the reason why I had to do it is my next complaint with Windows 10. Windows 10, oh, and actually, I can show you. I can show you right now. So let's say uh, you found these white border, bordered windows extremely bright and atrocious, and they kind of hurt your eyes late at night, and you wanted to darken it up a little bit, right? That shouldn't be a big deal. So now you right-click, you go to Personalize, right? You go to Personalize here. You want to change your colors? Oh, you can't do that. You need to activate Windows before you can change your color. Sorry, that slider's been disabled. Oh, you want to change your background? Yep, can't change your background. Sorry, got to activate Windows. Now, here's the other fun thing, kids, is if you sync your profile from, like, your previous Windows 8 installation and you have some really crappy low-resolution background because it was an old computer and now you're on a 4K display, well, guess what? It's going to take that old background image and it won't let you change it. It just looks like crap on a 4K display unless you pay $200 to change your background. Upgrading to Windows 8 to 10 is actually uh, is free. So if you have a new enough computer, that shouldn't be a problem, right? I don't. I didn't have a copy of Windows though. Right. Right. Well, I, so uh, I realize that's probably a minority story. Well, no, it, just because you're in your example, you were talking about if you had a, you had a Windows 8 with a profile with a crappy background, then you you upgrade. It, you wouldn't. You wouldn't yes, have to pay two hundred dollars. Right. Now here's example, the thing, though. Here's the but. So I had that very scenario happen because Windows 8 was set up on a computer I worked at, which with an OEM license. Right, uh-huh. so it was a machine uh, that I had a profile on, and all sure. of that crap. But then, I, but I didn't own that copy of Windows, and even if I did own yeah. that copy of Windows, it's locked to that piece of hardware, like yep. most copies of Windows are. Right, most copies right. of Windows are OEM. Now, I think those might be allowed for upgrades, but I didn't own that physical PC, so it was just like a go figure kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. So I did actually end up v- uh, activating it just so I could go through configuring everything. Now, since I've gone through multiple installs trying to do all this stuff, this particular copy is not activated. But, uh, yeah, yeah it's, that's, it's a minor thing. You, you know, you ha- everybody knows that's the game with Windows. Um, but I wanted to, before we go too far, I wanted to go back to the settings thing. This is a particularly odd duck. And, then, and, then, and this is something that I think if this was happening under KDE, we would definitely point this out under our Linux distro review. So let's say I want to change some settings on my system. I have a couple of options here. I'm going to launch the start menu, the new start menu, and then I'm going to click on settings here, which is probably what you're accustomed to. This is Mm -hmm. a new screen for Windows 10. It's touch-friendly. It's very KDE-looking. It's essentially an overlay for the new control panel applets, right? Not Mm -hmm. bad. Not bad. Also, though, you have the control panel, which is 
the same thing it's always been with all the icons Windows has ever had, like the sync, like the sync center for active sync, like all this stuff, the control panel is all in here. All right. So hold on. Now it gets even weirder, though, because there's then a third location for settings where I can do things like adjust my brightness, my network connectivity. There's yet mm-hmm. another place to adjust all of these same settings. And the, and the weird thing is, is I'm not exactly sure which ones actually take effect. Like, so for example, I'll, uh, which one takes precedence here? So I'll go to the control panel, okay? And then I'm going to go to power settings. Oh, hello, sounds. I'll go to power. And then, no, that's not power. That's home group. Hold on, you got to go through all these icons. Hold on, no, there's a lot of icons here. Now okay, I go to I'll, power. I'll just hang out here. I all go right. to power options. And now I go into change plan settings, okay? So here I have turn off display in five minutes and on battery and when plugged in, never. But see, that's not enough because I need to have yet another screen of settings for my settings. So then I go to change advanced power settings and then I have to activate this screen. And now when I go into this screen, I see an entirely different set of numbers that don't match up with what I have set earlier. And I'm not exactly sure which ones take precedence. So like if I go here and I set this to 25 minutes, will it see this one over here doesn't adjust to 25 minutes. So now which one is actually taking effect here? And, and, And then combined with the additional amount of settings that I have over on this screen, that also pertain to sleep and, de- and do not disturb and screen brightness. I, I'm not clear on which of these three screens is even doing the job I want, not to mention there's a fourth screen in here where I can adjust some of these same settings. Well, I'm glad Windows is, uh, you know, you know it's, at least you're not having to do anything from the command line. That would be hard, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose. So now, now that I've set that... difficult opening a command line. Now that I've set that, I'm going to go back into the control panel. I closed it. I'm going to go back to the power applet, mm-hmm. which I guess I could have just typed power, and change plan settings. And it, yeah, it didn't. even though I set it in that one screen, it's, it didn't set it in this dropdown. So I'm not exactly sure if my screen's going to never go to sleep or if it's going to go to sleep in 25 minutes. Guess we should wait 25 minutes and find out. Right, exactly. So it's, it is, um, and the, okay, then the one last thing, and I'm not, this isn't all going to be bashing, but I, while we're on this, the one other thing I'm kind of surprised that Microsoft's getting away with is um, uh, how, uh, how, how Metro-like these apps are. Like, these are, these, are, these are just Metro apps with window borders that we're just now mm-hmm. using on the desktop, and we're, exactly. we're okay with that. Like, yep. uh, like, that's not, like, a totally inconsistent user experience or something? Like, it's, to me, it seems really odd that uh, some stuff is Metro, some stuff is desktop applications. So there's that. I really like the way the multitasking stuff switches it works. That's nice. The multi-desktop stuff for UI is actually pretty slick. They've done a good implementation here of, of virtual desktops. You can slide between the two, and there's a little bit of a bounce animation or a little bit of a, you know, it's nice. It's, they, they do a good job. So that's all good things. One, one, one last little bit of uh, niggly-wiggly for me, Noah, mm-hmm. and it's a little hard to demonstrate, uh, but I did take some screenshots, so uh, let me pull these up here for you. Uh, one last wiggly-niggly I have about Windows 10 is a very, very inconsistent end-user experience and uh, for high DPI. Um, and this is something, again, I would absolutely ding a, a KDE or GNOME desktop for if they had inconsistent you know, like if it looked weird, I, I, I've talked about it before. It's not unusual for me to comment on that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. so I noticed it in Windows 10 quite a bit. And it might be a little hard to pick up here, but I grabbed a couple screenshots here. If you can tell a little bit, this is a this this the the text around this is blurry. You see, and the the X has a bunch of jaggies 
I don't know if you can see it. I don't. Yeah. I, I actually don't know how you. Maybe I just pinched a zoom. Oh yeah, yeah. That's right. I can pinch to zoom. So there you go. Now oh, if I yeah. zoom in, you can see that the the text and the, the OK box looks a little weird. The the graphic is a little odd. A lot of the uh, a lot of the things like Event Viewer and um, the Disk Management uh, uh, MMC and Air Screens and Installers, none of them are high DPI. So what you have now is you have Metro UIs that are with now with borders, which look pretty good. Then you have parts of the Windows desktop like Explorer, which are high DPI and look pretty good. And then you're constantly getting these weird UI elements that don't match the rest of the Windows theme and are not high DPI. And then you have some applications like Steam, which are just completely egregious, and the entire thing is low DPI and just looks like murder under uh, under Windows. And see, what Linux does differently is it just represents the application at its actual size. Mm-hmm. And what Windows is doing in the case of like a 4K display on the Dell XPS is it's actually zooming these, these windows up 250%. 250%. Yeah. You can imagine how crappy something looks when you digitally zoom it 250%. That's right. what Windows 10 is doing on 4K displays, and it's like all over the operating system. It's, it's all of the old bits of Windows that like they just like to pretend don't exist anymore, like, like some of the MMC snap-ins and, and Event Viewer and all that stuff. That isn't new, isn't flashy, isn't selling Windows 10, just didn't get a lot of attention. But the end result is because Windows is so stuck in a traditional desktop legacy use case that you can't help but run into this stuff consistently on a high DPI display. And it, mm-hmm. it, it, it's actually at the point where you have to kind of stop and kind of look and squint so that way you can read the text because the text is so blurry. So it's not a very good end user experience for high DPI. Um, so I had, uh, had, a, had a couple of things after I got it installed. First of all, um, I had been really actually concerned for some time that if I ever used Windows again, I would get kind of drawn back in or hooked back in. I'd used Windows for a long time, and I'd become very comfortable with it. And I, I thought, well, I'll just stay away from it. But, and then it's, it's kind of like a recovering alcoholic. I'm always afraid that you know, if, I, if I go back to it, I, I just might stay there. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised to learn that I, Windows has changed so much. The last real version of Windows I've actually used on my personal machine was XP. And Windows 10, I found, was so different from, from XP, so different, so far removed, uh, that I, it no longer feels comfortable to me. It feels like an entirely different operating system. Um, so I, that I was happy to see. Now, I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have nearly the trouble that you had installing it. I, my install actually was pretty smooth. Um, in fact, I plugged in uh, my printer, my little LaserJet printer, and it recognized it right off the bat, and I didn't even have to go out and download drivers for mm. it. That They just went out and somehow found it and installed it. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, I think that the actual UI of Windows 10 is a lot closer to what I would expect to see businesses use than Windows 8. I, 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 there is no business that we support right now that even is considering using Windows 8. I can see how this might fit in. Uh, I don't know that I think there's a, a huge UI advantage over 7, and I certainly yeah. haven't seen any huge technical leap, uh, a technical advantage or leap over uh, 7. But uh, I, I could I, the the you know the traditional start menu that kind of thing goes a long ways. Now the live tiles I that is something I could actually get behind. I thought those were pretty cute. I thought they worked okay. There, the um, only thing is is I did have one issue like uh, on the pre show is I I. I, I very legitimately could not figure out which one was the uh, Xbox icon and which one was my photos icon because the uh-huh. photo changes so much that uh, I, I, I lost. So this the top one there is, the, the one is my Xbox icon. It's just gray with a little dot in the middle. There's no re- 
way to really know that's my Xbox icon. There's no text that says Xbox. My photos one is a picture of my kids during Christmas, but if that changes to something else, it can almost look like the news icon. And I don't yeah. know which one's news and which one's my photos until I look at the, at the small text, which is actually kind of hard to read. So now, there, there, are, there might be some minor tweaks that have to be done, but I guess what I'm saying is the concept of having a, a, a space on the screen that has dynamic live content, I can get behind the concept, mm-hmm, even, mm-hmm. If, even if the, the actual impl- implementation needs well, some work. Well, and I'll say this. Uh, it's fast. Like, it comes up, it pops up really fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, the apps themselves are much better this time around. Like, uh, let's take a look, uh, for example, at the Photos app. This is the Windows 10 photo application. And uh, it works very much as a, as a, as a touch application uh, or as, uh, as a, you know, a desktop application. And it has all the features you might kind of expect from uh, these kinds of things, including, like, uh, the ability to just thumb through the photos and do a freaking slideshow and do your basic editing and tuning and all that kind of stuff, set mm-hmm. as your background. So, it, you know, it's fine for that. But it does – it feels like a Metro app at the same time, as long as you're okay with that. Um, so I, uh, so, uh, so lifetime, I mean, take them or leave them. I, I think that, I think that the, the concept is a decent idea. I was able to get my Google calendar sunk up with the calendar app. That was kind of cool. The fact that that, that was native and works, of course, I can do that in GNOME. Um, so, and I, and there's a plugin for, for Thunderbird that I'm able to use. So I don't know it really offered me anything, but I thought it was kind of novel. Um, and that was where the good experience of mine ended. Uh, it installed fine, and I was able to get my printer working fine, and I thought there were some cool UI stuff, and I thought that there was, there was some flashy candy that was kind of cool. Um, I went to install all of my programs, and I found that a number of them just simply don't work on Windows. People always complain about the software availability on Linux. Uh, my software, my preference for software, was abysmal on Windows. I couldn't get the GIMP installed. I went to the GIMP's website. They have some, like, testing nightly version, but it's not, they, they put right in there that it's not a stable version. There is no, like... There's no just, I want to download GIMP and install it. Couldn't find that. Um, and in fact, I, that I have, a, I, th- I have a screenshot there if, yeah, if that's interesting. But you can just go to the GIMP website and look. This just doesn't, doesn't seem to exist. Um, Vert Manager just wasn't available. So, this, so for the last three days, I haven't been able to do any of my server management because there's just no way for me to install the Vert Manager server so I can't access the, the, the KVM servers. I, just, I could not get part of my work done. Every time I wanted to do something, couldn't do it on my laptop, I had, had to either go home or go into my office to get to a real operating system to do my work, hmm. and that, that was frustrating. Uh, obviously, there's no native SSH support inside of, uh, inside of Windows, so there was no way for me to, to do anything even from the terminal, and I've become so accustomed to using my YubiKey, that turned into a device better suited to adjusting the height of my keyboard this week, because other than the one-time password, I couldn't get that to work with Windows. I did find a very extensive, irritating guide on how to make it work with uh, putty, but I couldn't get it to work. So I, I, I screwed around with it for a couple of hours, and I just threw in the towel and said, forget it, I'll go back again to a real machine and do it that way. Um, <laughs> Audacity, I, I had a simple task. All I wanted to do was bring in a 30-minute uh, audio file that I had. I wanted to cut it in two and export two of them out, right? It's a very simple task. Now, this is on a Core i7 with 16 gigs of RAM. This should be a breeze, and three different times Audacity crashed. Now, Maybe that's because – and this machine has only been in use for, what would you say, Wednesday or Thursday we decided to do this? Mm-hmm. So this has been like 48 hours. I've been So it's not like there's a ton of software and Windows has had its normal chance to cock itself up like what would happen if I ran it for a year. This has been four days and all of a sudden Audacity crashes. Now uh, I'm going to pause you because mm-hmm. I feel like we've been ranting for a long time. And I, I said some good things. I know. I want to. I just oh, okay. one thing we haven't done yet is we haven't talked. We I just before because I don't want people to think we spent the whole time ranting because there. I, what I want to try to get to is and we can get more to it. But I also I do think there are some legitimate things that people might look at that the Linux desktop doesn't do, and maybe we could just talk about those for a couple of minutes and see if they really are a, a big competition to Linux. Um, so like let's take Cortana. 
You think Cortana? Let's let's play with it. See, I haven't really right. see here. Um, what's the weather like today, Cortana? The forecast shows partly sunny skies with a high of eighty-eight and a low of sixty-one. All right, but I'm never going to use that. So let's try something. Yeah. Uh, let's try something practical, Useful. like uh, yeah. Cortana. Disable my monitor from falling asleep when my battery is plugged in. Airplane mode is now off. Now that got close. Oh. All right. Disable screensaver. Oh, that just did a Bing search. That's no good. That's no good. All right. So let's try something else. Let's try something more direct. Uh, how about, uh, hey, Noah, I got one. I got one. So okay. I'm going to go launch Cortana. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Um, uh, what was it I was going to try? Uh, oh, yeah. Check for system updates. Nope, just does a Bing search. Here's the thing. This is the, the entire purpose of, the, of, of voice dictation is to compensate for not having access to a keyboard and mouse on my Android phone. It's really inconvenient to have to try and peck things out or type something, so it's really nice to grab Google now and tell Google to set a reminder because I don't have a mouse to click to start something, a keyboard to type something out, yeah. and then a way to save it. In the desktop, you know how much I couldn't care less about being able to dictate command? How much of an idiot would I look like if I'm sitting in a restaurant Send going, Send Noah an email. Yeah, that should be good. Send known Who's email? the email going to? Noah. I couldn't find an email address for Noah. Hmm. Who else do you want to email? Angela. <laughs> What's it about? I'm talking to you through Cortana, comma, and I'm having a pretty good time doing the Linux Action Show. We're doing our review right now, and I'm wondering if this is dictating What to do you, you want to say? I think that was the subject. Now she wants the now she oh. wants the act. I just tried to give my entire speech in the subject line like your old boss, comma. Sorry, didn't mean to be one of those guys. Period. I'm dictating to Cortana right now, new line. I'm curious how fast I can talk to it, because I could probably type slightly faster than this, but I don't mind talking, and I can do it into a microphone. New line. See you soon. Here's your email. So it- send it, add more, or make changes. Cancel. I've canceled that email. She actually got almost all of it right. She didn't get the new line stuff right, but she pretty much got all of that right. Seems useless to me. I mean, I'll be very honest with you. I'm drawing a hard line in the sand, but I just, I see almost no compelling reason of why I would want to dictate something to my computer when I have a perfectly good keyboard to type it out on. Mm. Just not me. I, I'm sh- and, if, and if that's you, if, that, if that's something that appeals to you, by all means. To me, it just that, that seems like that could be advantageous for somebody that maybe has a disability and, and has a difficult time typing. But for me, for a daily use, there's no time I'm ever going to prefer to dictate something to the computer rather than just type it out. Yeah, and okay. maybe that's just because the way I, I, uh, maybe I agree. That's it's not. I it's it, not really a competitive feature against the Linux desktop. I don't think it has a lot of use, uh, especially in the use cases for the Linux desktop. Now let's talk about something Linux has struggled with: uh, an app store. So Windows 10, as you'd expect, has a Metro app with a title bar that is the app store. And uh, jump in there? Uh, no, no. Oh. There is kind of. It's actually, unfortunately, most of these are all Metro apps. I mean, that's kind of. Oh. I'm not actually all that enthusiastic about it. And the selection is actually not. I was surprised at how bad the selection is. Like, here's an eBay app. But do you really need a Metro app for eBay, when, or I'm sorry, a, a modern yeah. app for eBay when you can yeah. just go to, go to eBay.com? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And like, same with like the Facebook app. Neat, I guess, but you can just go to Facebook.com. Uh, so the apps How aren't really... Some useful apps? Yeah, like there's Firefox no, like, no, there's no like editing apps. There's no like, yeah, here's the apps apps. So Splashtop Remote, uh, AutoCAD, uh, the uh, viewer, Hulu Plus. These are some, this is, it is not a very... Oh, so basically, it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of websites wrapped inside of an... Yeah, it's, it's kind of a bummer. It's a bit of a bummer. That's um, useful. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I had some nice things to say, but like I said, then 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 I then I ran into things like Audacity just crashing. Uh, Brasio wasn't available, so I couldn't back up. We were going to the lake. I was going to bring a couple movies for the kids. No way to back those up because, or at least not not that I know of, uh, because that software isn't available. And then the most irritating thing, and I don't know if you want to talk about this now or later, What's is What's that, baby? Windows 10 is using it has a built-in torrent client, which is great. Is it actually torrent though? I believe so, but you can't actually use it to torrent anything other than updates from other people and for your machine to send updates to to I, other people. I, that I'm are actually at. I would question if it's actually torrent, but I know it's a peer to peer like uh, to, yeah for the updates it can use peer to peer, and I don't know how much is is actually being used uh, because my updates I, I, from what I could tell were seem like they're coming directly from a CDN. Um, so when we decided we were going to do this review, I reached out to uh, a friend that uh, that does. Uh, that that does more Windows administration than I do, and that was his answer. Was it was torrents? I guess I don't know for sure that it's actually well, so. Torrent. Here's what it says: is it's uh, uh, just like torrents. Windows uh, oh, Windows okay. 10 is using a peer-to-peer protocol, just like torrents. Uh, distribute some updates to people who need it. Now I could actually see this being useful on a LAN, to tell you the truth. How do you like it that it comes on by default, and so when you turn on your machine, your next door neighbor is pulling your bandwidth to get Microsoft updates? I don't know if that is the case, though. And I think it only works for, uh, well, actually, no, they say here it's using your internet connection. It, is, it goes beyond just, earlier in the beta, they thought it was just going to be for local networks. Well, I don't like, I don't, I don't love that. I don't know. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the, the ability to do something like we would do in a large enterprise where we put in a local repo so that the, so you don't get a DDoS, the, you know, the, the repo server pulls down the updates and then all the machines pull down from that one uh, local repo. That makes some sense, but... And so I guess I could see that working in an enterprise as well. But turn that crap off by default. If you're in a large enterprise, I will go and turn it on when I need that feature. Other than that, you go take your updates from Microsoft like everyone else. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. They're... Overall, I wasn't overly impressed with Windows. And I, I think, uh, personally, here's what I walked away from. If you use Windows because you think that Windows is easier than Linux, that, that, there's no truth to that statement anymore. Other than the fact that it may come pre-installed at the computer in a couple... I mean, not right now, that's yeah. not the case. But you know what I noticed, too? Two, you'll get it pre-installed. Windows 10 and then Windows 8 and Windows 7 has done this, too, for a long time. But Windows 10 especially spends a lot of time after installation setting up defaults, changing mm-hmm. defaults. And it is amazing how much of the Windows 10 experience is just Microsoft setting defaults and adding a, new tra- a few new transparencies on top of them. I think, Noah, mm-hmm. the big thing that I want to take away and talk about uh, just for a couple of minutes before we wrap up our review, because I think... Um, when you're talking about features in comparison to Windows and Linux, the biggest now differentiator is no longer ease of use and setup. I, I installed this on three different machines. In all cases, Linux worked out of the box on all three of them. And in all cases, I had to download additional drivers. I had to do additional reboots and BIOS updates. Mm-hmm. Not, not, and one of them, I didn't have to do a BIOS update. But really, it was quite a bit of work compared to how much it took to get Linux working. But here's the big differentiator between Windows 10 and Linux. And this is more important than it has ever been, not just because of the political climate, but because specifically changes that Microsoft are making to their freaking privacy policy. And this is a really big deal. And here's the really dirty part, is this privacy policy goes into effect yesterday. All of the images of Windows 10 are shipping with an older version of the privacy policy that does not reflect all of these changes. And that privacy policy you accept in Windows 10 when you install it automatically opts you into the new privacy policy that they have now retroactively deployed after the Windows 10 RTM images were created. And it is a doozy. 
It is a major, major doozy, and I have it linked in the show notes, and I encourage you guys to go read up on more. But here's essentially this new privacy dashboard is presented to give users a possibility to control their data related to various products in a centralized manner. This is They've talked about it. It's really slick. It's all these great new uh, features. It also has a 45-page privacy uh, document that you can go read, and so someone has done that. Here's a couple of things you need to know. I set it mine up with a Microsoft account, and so by default, when signing into Windows with a Microsoft account, Windows syncs some of your settings and data with Microsoft servers. Your web browser history, your favorites, the websites you have viewed, saved apps, website saves, mobile hotspot data, Wi-Fi network names, and Wi-Fi passwords all get synced to your Microsoft account. Now, here's the other thing that's great. Windows automatically generates, Windows 10 automatically generates a unique advertising ID for each user on a device. That advertising ID can be used by third parties, such as app developers, to advertise networks for profiling purposes. Now, the great part is, is each you get a device ID and a unique ID. So if you have a Windows phone and a Windows tablet and a Windows laptop and a Windows desktop, it knows who you are across all of those devices and which device you're using, so that way they can target the best ads at your face. Also, when you turn on encryption on Windows 10, it automatically encrypts the drive, which is great, and it creates a recovery key. Yay! That BitLocker recovery key is automatically backed up to the user's OneDrive account, which means it's available by subpoena by the authorities without ever having to come to you, because that key is sitting on Microsoft servers. The Microsoft that's updated... A, that's assuming you trust Microsoft not to give the key away to, to authorities without a subpoena. Yeah, oh yeah. Also, the new updated terms state that they can collect basic information from your devices, including, for example, app use data for apps that run on Windows... And data about the networks that you connect to. Users who choose to enable Cortana get a whole new slew of stuff. When you Now, of course, how else can Cortana work, right? To enable Cortana to provide personalized experience, this is right out of the Microsoft text, word for word, and relevant suggestions, Microsoft collects and uses various types of data, such as your device location. Oh, okay. Data from your calendar, apps you use, data from your emails and text messages, who you call, your contacts, how often you interact with them on your device. Cortana also learns about you by collecting data about how you use your device and other Microsoft services, such as your music, alarm settings, lock screen, and what you view and purchase, your browser and Bing search history, and more. But that's not all. The software also collects undefined speech data. We collect your voice input, as well as your name and nickname, your recent calendar events, and the names of people in your appointments, and information about your contacts, including their nicknames. All that just happens when you turn on Cortana, which I just did. They say we will act, this is from the Microsoft text, quoted, we will access, disclose, and preserve, oh, hold on, I got, let me, let me save, I got Telegram running, because somebody's been Telegramming me this week, their pictures, Noah. So they say we will access, disclose, and preserve personal data, including your content, such as content of emails, other private communications, or files in private folders, when we have good faith belief in, when doing so is necessary. In other words, word for word, Microsoft says they're going to access your content, such as emails, other private communications, and private folders, when they have a need to to protect their customers or enforce the terms of the service, things like that. That's a lot of things you're agreeing to to run Windows 10. I did not send you pictures just now. That, like, those are a long time ago. I don't know why they're just getting to your machine now, but that, that was like an hour ago, just saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Probably we just don't want to use Telegram during the show. Uh, all right, I, so, no, no, what do you think of the Windows 10 thing? I don't care about the Telegram thing. <sighs> Uh, uh, it, that it, it, here, does anyone really use? Does anyone sit down with Windows to to say, "Well, I'm really serious. I'm going to get serious about my privacy and security, so I'm going to use a secure I operating think, system." I think some people think so. Yeah, really. Yeah. 
All right, so here, here's a little other more. Brian Krebs points out, Windows 10 is sharing your Wi-Fi information with contacts. Now, it's not like super, super bad, but it's a new feature in Windows 10 that you can share a private encrypted version of your key and your Wi-Fi networks with your contacts. So you can send them to like a Skype contact or an Outlook contact or a Hotmail contact, and then they have the Wi-Fi network information saved on their Windows box, and they can just connect automatically. Uh, mm-hmm. Networks you choose to share uh, access to, the password is sent over an encrypted connection and stored in an encrypted file on the Microsoft server, and then sent over a secure connection to your contact's phone if they use Wi-Fi Sense, and they're in range of the Wi-Fi network you've shared. So then it goes out and retrieves it. Now, can they open that and, and read that information? So, for example, I have my, I my Wi-Fi... Key. Pa- Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just a key. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, so as Ed Bot points out at ZDNet, uh, the Wi-Fi sense is turned on by default. Users still have to explicitly choose to share a network, though. So when you first, when you first connect to a password-protected Wi-Fi network, you choose if you want to share access to that network with your contacts. And then you can just share that Wi-Fi network with all your contacts. Mm-hmm. That could drive some IT guys crazy, don't you think? Could you imagine that? Yeah. I, well, I, so... I look at it from a couple of different perspectives. One is that could be actually terribly useful. Do you have any idea how many times I've sat in a meeting room and right now what we do is literally hand out little cards with the with the Wi-Fi password on it and hope that everyone figures yeah. it out? Yeah, in some ways it could I be nice. I could yeah. actually see that being huge. And at a conference too. But where uh, where I would be concerned about it is, and again, it comes back to if, if and, and I haven't used Windows wireless networking at all actually in the last 10 years, so I have no idea how this works. But in Linux, I can click show password and see what the password is that's in any of my saved networks. You can do that in some of them. I don't think you can with these ones, but I'm not sure. That would be okay, an interesting so thing if you could that, do that. That would be the that would be the that would make that would be the make or break if if, yeah, if right? they remain concealed. And so I can say here, let me send the profile to to this person so they can come here and do it. But I don't have to worry about that getting published on the internet or them handing it out to another friend or something like that. Great. Yeah. If on the other hand, though, it just imports it and then they have full access to it, as if I had given them the password, that makes it infinitely less usable. Then I have to set the password and I might as well print it on on a piece of paper because I have to change it when <laughs> they're done. Stick it on the whiteboard. <laughs> yeah. My. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk whiteboard. about uh, yeah, that's a while ago. We've done that. Let's but. talk about that multi-million dollar background. Uh, here it is, right here, ladies and gentlemen. Here it is, the multi-million dollar Windows 10. Oh wait a minute. Oh wait, that's the New Line Cinema logo. Oh wait. Oh, that's wrong oh one. wrong one. That's the wrong one. Actually, I, I tease Microsoft because I, I don't know if you guys know this. But Microsoft is ridiculously, ridiculously proud of their background. And unfortunately, it kind of, in my opinion now, maybe I'm coming at this with the wrong opinion, mm. it sort of represents everything wrong with Microsoft's approach to building an operating system. They're focusing on the wrong details. And not only are they focusing on the wrong details, they are so proud of themselves. They think they are changing lives by picking the right background. i got to play this for you. It is a pretty cool background. <laughs> It's very exciting to be an artist in these times where your medium is constantly changing. We gathered everyone here into San Francisco, this beautiful photography studio and the mission. Assembled an amazing team. We're all collaborating to make really stunning, fun, sweet little images for a billion people. We built two installations to create the Windows logo out of light. My name is Bradley G. Monkowitz. I'm the creative director of the project, I suppose. (laughs) 
Bradley. So I, uh, I just, I mean, you can watch the whole video. We have it linked in the show notes. But uh, I mean, it's a fine background. Uh, I don't. Uh, I think it's pretty nice. I, mean, I don't have much good to say about Windows 10, but I actually did think that the the, the, the wallpaper is pretty cool. I think it looked like a 1980s New Line Cinema. Uh, All right, let me ask you this. Let's change it, change it for a second. If if that was instead of instead of an ugly Windows thing, if that was a if that was a great bright shining penguin, would you think differently? The penguin, and all of a sudden, like Linux was busting. No, out of its I, I think I would. I would have a stereotypical uh, open source guys never have a good taste for design. <laughs> all right, fair enough. I mean, it's just consistent. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. Lights and lasers through blue smoke was cool in the in the eighties and in the late seventies. Yeah, okay, all right. So but whatever, I'll, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, right. I, you're right. It is a nice background. I'm not. I'm not. I'm trying not to pick. What I'm trying to get well, at. I'm just saying when you take one logo and they've had that. Lo- they've had that essentially that logo in different incarnations since yeah. the days of '95. Yeah, I guess if you're going to have to, been use able that, to yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, yeah. it's come a long way. I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. I find. But, and here's something that's kind of. Oh, I can't show you. But one of the things that's kind of neat is you can change your colors based on your background and things like that. But I actually was kind of surprised at the at the lack of customizability here. So I want to show you these two screens here. So just you kind of get a. So I have display settings here, and then you have personalized settings here. Now, these have kind of changed around a little bit. So if you uh, maximize this here, you can see uh, you get a little more custom, a little more control of the colors and themes. But when it's not activated, I can't actually demo it for you. But it's actually, you know what? Like, I don't know. Like they. Their their theming isn't isn't that great. Like you can't really tweak it as much as I'd like. And I'm really struck by how much it reminds me of the, of the new KDE look. So I feel like I should be able to customize some of this stuff. But overall, the defaults they've picked with the new Windows 10 are, are pretty nice. The new Compizy like animations, they're they're not bad. They're they're not as rip offy as I thought, but they do feel a bit like Compiz. The multi desktop stuff is done well enough. It, it definitely functions, and the speed and performance for a fresh install seem to be pretty good. The new start menu. One thing that's a little wonky about it is if you don't want one of these big tiles, all you just get is a big old list here on the left. It's just kind of a big old list, which just takes a while to go through. But uh, all in all, if I was going to run Windows in like a virtualization or something like that, I'm not a hundred percent sure what ten would offer me over seven if DirectX yeah. isn't a, if DirectX oh, yeah. isn't a consideration. You kind of agree? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I 100% agree, 110%. Uh, in fact, I uh, as I was looking, the, the, one of the reasons I even I even really agreed to do a review of Windows 10, because I have, if you had asked me to do a review of Windows 8, I would have said, I'll look at it, but I can't really install it. But I know, whether I like it or not, the reality is, if you work in this industry, you have to work around Windows. And so I know that the next enterprise release, the next rollout of operating systems is going to be 10. Um, at least that's what I expect it to be, and so I need to be pre- I need to be t- tangentially prepared to yeah. to administrate these systems at least on some level. So, I, I, but I I come at exactly the same way you do. Is it's planned obsolescence? There is nothing that made. I mean, they will eventually they will discontinue support for seven. It'll reach AOL. They'll discontinue support, and then there will be security implications. But that is not that is by design. That is because Microsoft wants there to be security implement, uh, implications. So you have to upgrade to ten, and not that seven is technologically inferior in some way. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't have any 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 real reason to. I would have no no real reason if I was going to use Windows to to jump ship. I, you know, I think the big disclaimer though needs to be made for both of us. We have been you won't understand the level of irritation we have with this stuff unless you have worked and been bitten over and over and over again and had to administrate everyone else's boxes and fix all mm-hmm. of their problems for mm-hmm. ten years. And then after you do that enough times and then you come over from from that world where where like the stupid activation thing that you, you installed three different computers for something that wouldn't even be a consideration on Linux because you wouldn't have to activate this crap. And the idea that Microsoft is going to prevent a single person from preventing Windows by not letting you change 
change the theme in the desktop is absolutely ludicrous. It's just nonsense, utter and complete nonsense. Uh, and when you, when you start dealing with tiny little stupid things like that, like you can't demo your show now on this Windows 10 box because they have that stupid activation thing, stuff like that, you deal with, a, uh, you deal with little things like that enough times and you go, if I was on mm-hmm. Linux, this just wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. And so and this is what you get. When you take two people that are used to using a powerful, robust, customizable operating system that, that meets, for the most part, everything I want to do with it, everything you want to do with it, and you put us back into 1995 where the only choice is a ginormous company that just dictates how they want things to happen yeah. and they create and I would problems say too, for no reason at all. I was surprised by how much of Windows 10, like, once you get past it, it's still just it's still Windows 7 or wi- previous Windows. Yeah. It's still the same event viewer, still the same device manager, still the still MMC snap-ins. Um, you know, when you, you saw when I went in to get the power settings, if I really want to tweak the power settings, it's that same list of screen of settings it's always been. Um, yeah. And this it's is, under the hood at 7, yeah. Yeah, fundamentally, this is kind of, I think, where the issue falls down is the things that fundamentally didn't make Windows competitive against the Linux desktop, if the Linux desktop worked for you, haven't changed. Those fundamentals... Mm-hmm. Haven't been adjusted here. Uh, I'm, I think I'm pretty comfortable in saying that Windows 10 is neat. It's, a, it's probably the best version of Windows since Windows 7. And since you need something that's going to be updated and supported, it, it's good there. Um, no, I don't mean that. I'm not even saying that no, to be mean. No, it's just the best version since 7. Well, there was another one, and it was a catastrophic failure. So, I, yeah, I'd say that's true. Out of the two versions that yeah. came after 7, I, I am shocked, be the though, one. when you come at it from somebody who doesn't have a Windows computer. Like, you just want to go buy a copy. Like, it is not actually that easy of an experience. I was really, like, kind of dumbfounded. I walked out of Best Buy empty-handed. Like, wow, I, I just tried to spend... I cannot buy Windows. And I can't, yeah. Like, that was a very odd experience. And all of it from end-to-end was sort of like all of it. Like, with the, with the driver updates and the, and the BIOS. Mm-hmm updates and the firmware issues like all this stuff just and windows updates not completing to download and install um and i think i have one is a one is a synaptics driver and another one is something for this thing it's just i i don't uh i don't i'm not used to that kind of stuff and it is it's not insurmountable but it really hits you in the face when you don't have to deal with it on a on a very reoccurring basis Mm -hmm. so uh that stuff said uh you know this is our this is sort of our like we'll try it out so you don't have to and if you've been curious if it's a big game changer I'd say you take KDE Plasma 5, you take some GNOME things that, you know, like, like some of the way that virtual desktops work in GNOME, and you take a little, like, too much white in your face from iOS 7, and you've basically got the new look for Windows 10 with the old Windows underneath it, mm-hmm. and new support for things like DirectX and new, some new technologies underneath that make it a, a decent, pretty solid release for Windows, but it's not making me switch away from Linux anytime soon. Yeah, not even close. In fact, if anything, I think that Windows 10 is going to perpetuate that cycle of t- bringing people off. Uh, and I'm not saying mm. they're going to go to Linux, but bringing mm. people off of Windows. Now, rather that means they go to the Mac or they go to iOS or Android, or if, if I'm involved, probably Linux. But uh, whatever that means, I think it's going to continue to draw people off of it because I think Microsoft continues to miss the ball of what people want in a, in a, in a desktop computing experience. And that environment is getting, a mo- is getting harder and harder to grasp because people have already kind of found out other avenues to get their work done. So, All right, Noah, that means it's time for us to go format our rigs, because that's the Linux Action Show's look at Windows 10. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But Noah, we got some emails. In fact, we had some emails last week we needed to get to, and we're going to get to them this week, because Last week's show was huge for our OSCON coverage. So Clint D. writes in with our first one. He says, I'm trying to switch someone over to Linux, but he has some CCTV cameras set up in his home, and they're connected to a DVR. Been trying to look for a client DVR, but I can't find anything that's open source. Do you guys know of anything that's available out there? Keep up the good work. Thanks, Clint D. What do you think, Noah? So, yeah, well, so I told uh, – what – 
I think that there are a lot of uh, generic uh, DVRs that just have like web interfaces and stuff like that. And certainly they have applications that come with the DVR that connect into them. But I am not aware of any generic uh, on Windows, Linux, or Mac I, or Android. I am not aware of any generic uh, camera viewing software, nor am I aware of any standardized protocol for security cameras. However, uh, the more I think about it, the more I thought that might be a thing. Maybe there is some sort of standard. Maybe there is some sort of generic software, and I'm just not aware of it. So I thought we'd open it up to the audience and see if anyone has a suggestion. So if there is some sort of universal standard that I'm not aware of and that, that you, Chris, are not aware of, and obviously the viewer isn't aware of, uh, if there is something like that out there, particularly for Linux, I would also like to know yeah. because we do a lot of DVR installations. I wonder, and, and, if and you're not thinking like something like ZoneMinder isn't going to do it. No, because ZoneMinder essentially finds hack about ways to act. So, for example, if it has a web interface in the camera, ZoneMinder yes, will right. go in and grab that and pull it out. But I am thinking, the more I was thinking about it, I was thinking it would almost be too expensive for all these different manufacturers to come up with their own software and pay their own developers. Like, I, don't, I am almost not sure that I believe that they're all writing their own stuff, their, Andro- or their own Android apps, their own iOS. Maybe there is some sort of standard, and I'm just not aware of it, and they just rebrand it somehow. Uh, so if, well, if that's the case, if somebody knows yeah. about it, it, let me know because Linux Action Show.reddit.com. Look for 376 feedback thread. You want to grab Richard's email? Richard S. writes in and he wants to know about Angela's switch to Linux. Love your guys' show. Been a listener for several years now and haven't missed a last Tech Talk today, LUP, or Unfilter since I started listening. In the process of switching my wife to Linux, as Windows 8 sucks, yes, we agree, I can't believe how cluttered Windows 8 is. Anyway, wife bought a Leno- Lenovo Yoga, th- Yoga 3. Yoga. And the, uh, Yoga, which is great, which is a great little laptop, but I'm having a tough time figuring out how to get the wireless going. Hmm. I can get it to boot into Linux Mint, Linux Mate, and or boot GNOME, but I haven't decided which Linux distro for her yet. I've read several forums to help, and they all seem to have just a little bit different ways of dealing with this issue. Remembering that you guys switched Angela to a Lenovo Yoga, I was hoping to get some insight, i.e., in order to accomplish this, you have to do a full install. Uh, in the order to install the right wireless drivers. I have been working on it via live USB and much frustration. Did you and or Noah get a post on how you got it to work on Angela's computer all weekend? Thanks for all the wonderful shows. I will keep listening. So the answer to this question is there is a way to manually load. The the problem is it gets disabled in the BIOS and it doesn't recognize the the function key for that uh, that particular wireless card. Now there is a way, um, there's a cockamamie way you can go through and, and, and mod probe this and do all that. But actually the easier way, the really easy way, the way that I did it, I just grabbed Fedora 22 and stuck it in, and Fedora actually has whatever it is, all the stuff that is needed to turn that on and off built right in. So we took Fedora, and if I remember right, I actually had to install it. I couldn't just run it live, but I installed Fedora, toggled hmm. the wireless on, and then installed everything else, and it was fine until you hit a roadblock updating. A package update, yeah. Yeah, and so then we had a little bit of an issue there. And that, you know what it was is uh, it was a it, basically it's a Broadcom card, and there's two part update. There's like a there's like a driver update, and then a firmware update, or there's a there's a there's two parts to it. And one part got updated, and the second part didn't get updated. And so ran this. So then basically the solution was go get a USB Ethernet adapter, plug it in, run the next set of updates, get that next part of the update, and I was done. It just happened to be a really poor timing where one update hit the repo, and the other package didn't hit the repo, and that was the exact moment the update was done. And fifteen. 20 minutes later it was fixed uh so that's happened to me i like your idea though Fedora 22 did it that might be the way to go honestly Easy. sometimes though i know i don't know if you're if you're just doing this for one machine 
Put an Intel, put an Intel wireless card in there, or, or an Ethereum, or something like that. You can't. You can't uh, well, unless you're really good at micro soldering and flashing EEPROM. Oh, right, they're no, right listed. Can't. Right, yeah, yeah. All right, okay, yep. very good. Ben T, well, not very good, but I understand. Ben T writes in, "Hey guys, I was listening to episode three seventy three, and I felt I need to comment on the concern that Chris has about X to go. Well, I have a concern. Uh, until I uh, relatively recently, the only reason that I still use Windows seven VM is in my environment was strictly for remote desktop access to my network. I would forward X over an SSH session and then our desktop into it. That was due to a couple of reasons." But he says, I now no longer have Windows 7 VM for remote desktop purpose in my environment. X2Go does everything I need, uh, and it does with great performance. I can watch YouTube videos with X2Go in the Windows smoothly. Desktop performs great, and best of all, sessions are kept and can be picked back up later. If you need for remote desktop, I highly suggest giving it a try. If you have an SSH server set up already, then uh, uh, and that server has a desktop manager installed in it, you already have most of what you need. Just add the X2Go software on the client, and uh, you're all set. Did I give the impression for some reason that I was skeptical about X2Go? Because... I've used no, it since I, it was I don't. No th- I don't think you did, but I just wanted to underscore and emphasize that if you if if you don't understand the uh, how performance uh, uh, how really performance yeah. X to go is, X to go is yeah. uh, this is somebody who went out and tried it and right, found I was the same thing that, that you and yeah. I found. Yeah, I was yeah. wondering if the performance was still as good as it used to be. Yeah, and you could so the fact that he's watching YouTube videos in a remote desktop session that's in, that's protected over SSH is nuts. Mm-hmm. That's nuts, yeah. Check, go check out that X2Go episode if you guys haven't watched that. Now, we'd like to get your feedback over to jupiterbroadcasting.com. Click the contact link and then choose Linux Action Show from the drop-down. You can email us directly, linuxactionshow at jupiterbroadcasting.com. We also have the feedback thread, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. That subreddit's also the best place to submit stories, topics, open-source projects you think we need to know about, great Linux desktop apps, runs Linux all of that, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. If there's something that didn't get covered in this show, you can help make a difference by bumping it in that subreddit and commenting on it and uh, giving your thoughts. We take all of that into account. Noah, is there anywhere you'd like to send people throughout the week? Altaspeed.com. That's where we are managing enterprise networks in the Grand Forks community. Don't know how it applies to everyone at large, but certainly if you're in the area. Actually, if you're in the area, forget Altaspeed. Just uh, just uh, shoot me a message on Telegram or email, and I'll take you out for a beer. Go at Colonel Linux on Twitter and hit them yeah, up. Yeah, there and, you go. Uh, that'll do it. I'm at Chris LAS on Twitter. And don't forget the meetup page, meetup.com slash Broadcasting. When we get the LinuxCon stuff all dialed in, that's where you're going to find that stuff published. This should be, uh, I don't know, I mean... We're going to have a booth, so it should be pretty easy to find us if all goes as planned. I think it's going to be a good show. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. We'll see you right back here next week. This is, uh, whoo, if you like sounds, boy, do we got one for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, let me tell you a little bit about uh, why I never, so I about 30 reasons this episode alone why I, ne- why I don't want to do video anymore. So here's, here's the thing that, you, like, you don't even have to deal with this. Only I have to deal with this, and it's super frustrating, is there is a fundamental requirement that whatever, whatever we're going to talk about today, I have to be able to demo it. I have to be able to show right. it on the screen, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so, okay. That sounds pretty easy, except for, no, it's not. So I have had to format three different computers. Computers I didn't want to format. Computers I've had to image back up, so that way I can restore them after this stupid episode. Which hopefully goes well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so let's see. Uh, first computer I, I decided to use was my Dell XPS 13, because mm-hmm. uh, I figured I don't really have anything super critical on that, even though it's a really, really great computer, and I have a bunch of good games installed. It's got a touchscreen screen. I, that would probably be a good place to start. 
So, of course, I go with the XPS 13. I work out the fact that the sound doesn't work, which takes me an hour to troubleshoot. I get mm-hmm. tons of DLL errors trying to fix that mm-hmm. every time the operating system reboots. I had to go into mm-hmm. MS Config, which is now in the task manager, and disable stuff from coming up at startup because I was getting nothing but DLL errors after I tried to install the Realtek audio drivers. I, mm-hmm. I never actually did get the Dell Synaptics touchpad driver to install from Windows Update. And then I get out here and realize, didn't even dawn on me, that the only thing that XPS 13 has out of it is DisplayPort, like Micro DisplayPort. And I don't have any Micro DisplayPort to HDMI here at the studio, and Best Buy doesn't open until it's showtime. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'll go set up the Bonobo. You know, the, the test, the spare Bonobo we have here for testing. And I'm like, even though it's got a really good Fedora 22 install installation on it, I'll go do Windows 10 on the Bonobo because the Bonobo's a great rig. It's a good mm-hmm. test benchmark. I, I run all my comparisons on that, so I'll have a good floor to compare Windows 10 on. I'll use the Bonobo. Bonobo's got a regular old HDMI out port, too. It's gorgeous. And a, and a mm-hmm. dedicated NVIDIA 750 in it. So I'm thinking, this is going to be great. What could go wrong? Oh, oh, I don't know. For some reason, I could delete all the partitions off the drive. And then after I delete the partitions off the drive, Windows 10 install- installer no longer sees the hard drive. So I managed to nuke the installation, <laughs> but I, it doesn't see. In fact, what it wants to install on is the thumb drive, the frickin' yeah. thumb drive. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, I don't even, oh, oh, don't even get me. Do you have a video? Did you do any video? Because I made video. Don't even get me started about trying to actually get a thumb drive with Windows 10 on it. So then, so then I'm down to two computers, and it's this morning. It is this morning I realize I don't actually have a computer I can hook up to Wirecast to demo this pile. So then I'm like, hey, Ange, can I take your Lenovo with me to the studio? Because A, it's got a touchscreen. B, it's got HDMI out. And C, I think it's probably going to run Windows 10 okay, but I'm not sure. And she's like, well, but I don't want you to lose all my stuff. So I spend all of this morning backing up and DDing her machine and now installing Windows 10 on it and getting Windows 10 back to a semi-usable state for this review. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. So I've nuked um, three computers in this process. And, I, and I got to say, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, Noah. If I wasn't trying to demo it, None of that would have been a problem. If I wasn't trying to hook it up to so, Wirecast uh, to show it, none of that would have been a problem. Chris. I never would have had any of those problems. Chris Topher. Yeah. Uh, I'm just I'm going to go out of limb here because we're separated by 2,000-some miles, and I, you can't actually cause me any physical bodily harm. But I don't think the issue here is the Video Linux podcast. I think the issue is the fact that we decided to do this Windows crap. Yeah. So I said I found that really really nice trailer that you and I was talking to you about. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and of course it sold super fast. Oh no. Yeah. Nope. So uh, be, you know what the thing about RVs, and I'm finding this is especially true in your state. They're all over the place. Yeah, I know, I know. But uh, you know that road trip's coming up. Yeah. So I'm getting a little nervous. So then, is, do you have a definitive date, or is that still kind of up in the air? Uh, I'm kind of thinking about maybe. Um, I'm kind of thinking about maybe uh, like September 15th hitting the road around oh, okay. then. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, the cool. thing is, is I also want to. Sh- I will have a lot of show changes. I want to plan around that too. So it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's. Uh, you know, it's one of those things. Got to get all Touchy. those. Got to get all those ducks lined up. Hmm. I don't know if I have. What's an easy way? I guess I could just install Telegram on this thing. They have that for this, right? I don't know. I don't know either. The things I found that weren't available were surprising. That was a problem I didn't expect to run into. Oh, man, an Airstream would be... A new Airstream or a used Airstream? They're both really cool. They're both no, really... I'd, I'd go used. Is there a mouse pointer? Oh, yeah, there is. Um... Yeah, so, but here's what I was thinking, Noah, is if I don't find an RV, uh, you know what? I might try one of those Cruise America RVs, one of those rental units. Yeah, I went and, yeah, yeah. My I went cousin and, uh, did that, and actually, he lives in, around you, and he did that, and he, it was a great experience for him. Yeah, in I went fact, and, and toured one got, yesterday. He, he got, um, 
he had a problem with it. The the auto leveling jack thing didn't work. Oh yeah, and yeah. Because of that, they like they gave him like a huge discount on it. One so thing that's up- one thing that's kind of cool is like they have like obviously which kind of makes sense is they have service all the time. So if you have an issue with yeah. the unit with the rig, you know they'll they'll right. Yeah, that's kind of neat. That, that makes sense. That I they agree. Would do that. And so we toured one yesterday, and it's really nice inside. Yeah. Wood, it's wood floor, uh, all mm-hmm. stainless steel uh, appliances. Um, you know what all? Hmm. You'll learn very quickly what you like and don't like about the RV, and then you'll know what you yeah, want to buy. I was thinking that, too, and then plus it's wear and tear on a different vehicle. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, 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 it's, the other thing that's nice about it is it has everything connected from the driver's spot back to the back cab area, so like it's all one, you know, instead of having a truck yeah. and trailer, which mm-hmm. isn't a big deal, but it w- it's a nice to have. A or a Class C. Yeah, I don't know what... Yeah. Class A is like a bus. Class C is like... Yeah, it's, the camper that they mounted on the back of a pickup. Well, it's like, like a hybrid so. of the two, though, because it's like a E three fifty Ford truck, on and then like a camp. But it's, I don't know. It's like a, it's a cl- class C. Sounds okay. like you're, okay. you're describing a class C. Oh, all right, okay. Are you ready, uh, Noah? It's the news, and this episode. I ready. It's brought to you by. Yeah, that was good. That was actually really good. I'm, I'm really impressed. <laughs> 